I have basketball, baseball, Atlanta sports, and a little politics, and the fall of the Yankees. All coming up. I don't know what else I can do for you. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Monopoly Go. It's halftime and the scoreboard's not looking good. You're not sure you can pull out a win? That's when you say to yourself, it's time to get back in the game. Pull off some bank heists and take as much of my friend's money as I possibly can. That's right. The hit mobile game, Monopoly Go, lets you compete with your friends to be the biggest tycoon ever. I might do this with my high school friends. We used to play Monopoly all the time. It's the Monopoly you love, but on your phone anytime with tons of new twists, including leaderboards to compare your progress. There's so much to do. Play on countless dynamic Monopoly boards. Make your friends bankrupt by smashing their landmarks with a wrecking ball. Charge other players rent for your iconic properties. Maybe you'll even play against me. I'm great at Monopoly. You could even work with your friends to crack open community chests and in tournaments to get extra rewards. Get back out there. Put on your game face. Download Monopoly Go. Now free on the App Store or Google Play. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network. Put up a new rewatchables on that feed. It is Spotlight, five-year anniversary of a really, really, really awesome, influential movie. Did that one with Chris Ryan and Ryan Rossello. You can hear that now. We have two iconic movies coming next week, Monday and Wednesday, on the rewatchables. When I say iconic, I mean two iconic movies. So be prepared for that. Coming up, Jackie McMullen, Rembert Brown, Jacko. Three people that are just on podcast together way too often. All right, this is the first time. It's all coming up. First Pearl Jam. All right, taping this Tuesday afternoon. Jackie McMullen is here. The basketball offseason is upon us. I've been talking about this. I talked about it on my pod on Sunday. Talked about it on Zach Lowe's podcast yesterday. It really seems like they're pushing up this season to basically, you know, they're acknowledging there's no way they're going to have fans anytime soon. Might as well keep the schedule relatively intact so they can keep the 2021-22 season, protect that 100%. So we might have like a really fast run here where all of a sudden we have draft mid-November. They'll push free agency up a tiny bit. And then potentially this season could start Christmas earliest, MLK weekend the latest. What have you been hearing about topsy-turvy stuff? Because every year we've had some, at least one crazy thing has happened basically since 2014. What is your prediction for the crazy thing this year? The crazy thing this year? I think... I think the pandemic's going to come back and bite the NBA if they start too soon. I do, because I just don't see an end to this. I'm not one of those people that believes it's going to disappear on November 3rd, for instance. And the other thing that 
I think the real reason they're pushing it, Bill, as hard as they are, it's also it's the fans in part, but it's also because the numbers were horrible. Oh yeah, of football, and I, I don't think you could stress that enough. They thought, or even in the summertime, they thought they would have a captive audience in the summer. And I have a lot of friends, as I know you do, who love basketball, and they just couldn't. As much as they love basketball, they had a hard time pivoting to watching it regularly in the summer. So the numbers were not at all what the NBA had hoped. That's what I, I've been hearing. Yeah, I think it was eye-opening for them where they thought maybe August and September could actually be a good thing for them because they had been talking for years about what if we started on Christmas Day, went all the way right. through. And, you know, the combination, not just football, but I think the election cycle too, having to deal with that every four years where basically from June, from July on every four years, people are just going to drift to the news channels, the debates, all that stuff, the combo of that. And that's even before we get into the, the social justice stuff this year, which definitely hurt at least a tiny bit. Oh, but, I think it hurt more than a tiny bit. Yeah. I'm being, I'm trying to be diplomatic, but the you football are, thing, yeah. they don't, they don't, uh, you know, they had it good the old way where it was the finals on June and then they own the off season in July. And those were kind of the two dead months where they're only going against baseball. That it, I think they want to protect that and get back to that. And if they have to make it a 70 game season and a sprint this year and start early and have no fans, you're making the key point though. How do you protect against the stuff that's plaguing the NFL right now, where every week there's two, right. three teams that have something going. I don't know how you fix that. I mean, they well, have less players. That would be one good thing. Well, that's true. And I mean, the NFL, just the contact. I mean, the, I mean, the NBA is obviously a physical game, but the contact in the NFL, you just watch it from week to week and you say, how have they even managed as well as they have? And, you know, Bill Belichick, I was so surprised, so surprised that he went to the practice thing, you know, the, the multiple mentions of practice a mere week after his protege, his reluctant protege in some ways, Mike Vrabel had dealt with COVID in ways that no one else has yeah. and, just, and just destroyed the Buffalo Bills. I just thought it was interesting. I was surprised Bill Belichick went that way. Yeah, you know, I, I thought it was a solid excuse coming out of a game where oh, the Broncos, is. where the Broncos yeah. completely demolished them. I'd okay, like, but, oh, man, we needed more practice. Like, but, I, honestly, but, that was embarrassing. But you know what? Like if Drew Lockett stayed on the field 10 more minutes, he was going to give him another chance to win. True. I mean, that was True. just an embarrassing loss. So I was just surprised. Bill's not an excuse maker. One of the things I like about him. That was surprising to me. All right. We're, so if we're you're, getting off the rails a bit. Sorry, but. Well, if you're one of the uh, the NBA contenders right now, which the list is like eight to 10 teams. Sure. And you're looking for a possibility of all of a sudden this could speed up and we are going to have the draft. I think it's November 15th, 16th, somewhere in there. And then 18th, free agency yeah. fast, 18th, free agency yep. fast after. And the cap's going to be pretty hard. It's going to be like 109. Right now, There's it's a little no, lower, lower than I thought, right? Lower than right. you thought? I thought, well, because I, I think be they're higher. trying to protect for the year after, right? Would be year. my guess. The Giannis, the Giannis year, yes. You don't have marquee free agents like we've had in the past. It seems mm -hmm. like they're more stacked to twenty-one. You also have at least three teams that we know about: Toronto, Dallas, and Miami. I think are safe bets to at least be looking ahead to Giannis in twenty twenty-one. Right, right. And then you We're have Golden State with this number two pick with a giant trade exception that expires pretty soon, but they would take a huge luxury tax if they put another hit, if they took another player in there. Yeah, um, I can't. I can't do that. And they have a chance to be a contender right away if they can turn that number two pick into somebody who can play right away for them. So they're balancing what's that pick worth 
on Zach's podcast this week, we were trying to figure out like, what is that pick worth? What, what do you think it's well, worth? I mean, it's not a great draft, right? right? It's just not. There isn't, there's no Zion in this draft. And because everything's compressed, I've talked to so many scouts and coaches are like, we can't bring guys in. Although guys have come in, but it's not the way we like to do it. Mm. You know, it's just very, it's a, it, it's, it's always been an inexact science and we have a million examples of that. Um, but I think even more so now because people just aren't, aren't sure because uh, with all the analytics aside, almost every GM you've ever talked to tells you they just want to look at the kid in the eye and spend some time with him and talk with him. And that's been hard to do, especially if you have to have a mask on. So I think right. this is a really interesting year for, uh, I don't, I think that pick has been incredibly devalued because of all of that, to be honest. And, well, uh, you, that's how you do stuff too. You like being in the room with people. You like I do. interacting with them and that's yeah. how you get some of your best stuff. And I'm sure you've even suffered with reporting you're oh, done because basically horrible. now you're doing phone calls. Yeah, it's been the worst. It's just so horrible. I, I was just talking to Nick Nurse about this the other day because, you know, Nick's doing his rounds a little bit with his book, which is so great. Um, he's there's some great stuff in that book. And I'm happy for Nick Nurse because he's one of the guys people should be rooting for. And now his assistant, Nate, gets the Pacers job, which right. I just love that because uh, one of my favorite stories from the from uh, them winning and then Kawhi going was I, I did this whole story about off season for coaches and like Steve Kerr was on the beach when he found out Kevin Durant was leaving and he overheard it from some guys going, dude, Katie's going to Brooklyn. Like that's how he found out oh. for real. And so I was, I was kind of going to every coach and I, I said to Nick, well, how did you find out Kawhi was gone? And you know, we all kind of knew it probably was going to happen, but he said that, uh, he and Nate were at a, a Prince impersonator contest in Vegas. So they're at this concert. They're champions, you know. They're celebrating, and and the the prince impersonator, who I guess was really really good, was singing "Purple Rain," and they're like "Purple Rain," you know, they're doing all this. And then both of their phones ding at the same time, and they look down, and it's Kawhi telling them, "Yeah, I'm going home." And that's how they uh. found out, that's how they found out they lost Kawhi. So, but Nate is Nate is like Nick's clone. I mean, they think the same way. People, I'm not 100 percent sure about this, so I I don't want to. I can't say this with certainty, but I think Nate might have been the first one that said boxing one, you know, mm. with, I'm not sure, but you know, they think alike and, and obviously the Pacers, they're not a big market team and they don't spend like a big market team. They never have, and they never will. So they were, they were looking for the next Nick nurse. And I, I think they might've found him. Well, and that's a kind of a fun job too, because that team no has talent and, and a couple trades, you know, but I think, sure. they, but with Sabonis and uh, with Brogdon Turner. and some yeah, of their young Turner? guys. So would you keep Sabonis and Turner together? That's my question no. to you. No, no way, I, right? And, and you keep Sabonis, right? Oh, I yeah. I keep Sabonis, yeah. Yeah, I love oh, Sabonis. Oh, 100,000%. Because right. so you can actually you know, initiate offense through him, which I, I think can. was the big revelation with him last year. Like he could, yeah. you know, off the dribble, he could create for other guys, which is exactly. really unusual for a five. Yeah, they're kind so, of an interesting team. And like... Do you can you convince Oladipo it's a great place to be? And can you be convinced that Oladipo's worth the max contract? Because I'm not sure we know how healthy he is yet. Too small a sample size for me, anyway, to say that. Well, we were talking, Zach and I were trying to figure out if Indiana could get into if there's a three teamer or something with the second pick with Golden State and like Brooklyn oh, as the third team, stuff like that. I have no idea what Oladipo's value is around the league because he's in the last year of his deal. 
Yeah, he I, did not look the same as he did two years ago before he got hurt. Right. And we have no idea if he's going to be the guy from two and a half years ago ever again. Right. And not to mention, you don't know if you can re-sign him. So I don't really know what you do with that. I think you have to play it out. And 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 I think, you know, <clears throat> I'm not going to judge Oladipo and what we saw of him in the bubble because he was coming off a horrific injury, number one. Number two, that whole environment is bizarre and strange. And number three, we know he didn't want to go. His intent yeah. was not to go. And the Pacers were like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you don't have to go. And I think the league is like, well, if you don't go, you're not getting paid. I think that's what happened. I really do. So he goes and he's, you know, wary. I don't blame him. Wary for not just coming off that serious injury, but just wary of everything else that's gone on around you. I think you're pretty vulnerable after a major injury like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to say that he'll never be the same because he's a young guy. He works hard. You've been around him. He's a great kid. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a chance he could still be a really great player. But, and it's a big but, if you're another team, not the Pacers, if you're another team, are you gambling on that? I'm not. Not now. Maybe maybe by February, you know, well, I was going to say by February, but let's do the new math. I don't know, whatever the trade deadline will be in this new world that we embark on for next season. But if you're the Pacers, don't you have to maybe pay him a max? Because you're not ever getting a, a marquee free agent to come here. Right. I just don't think he's going to stay unless well, I don't they either, pay but, him more than everybody else pays him. So that well, would right. be their trump card. Right. But and 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 if and if you look at it and you evaluate and you decide well he's not really the same if you're the Pacers and you've always been fiscally responsible because you have no choice. Maybe in the end you don't pay him either. I think he's the toughest kind of guy to handle because he's like a tweener superstar in the sense that Right. He was a superstar for about four months. So you know he say, has like, it. Four weeks almost. Yeah, whatever yeah, it was. It was, it was but he basically, he looked like Don, like what we ex- saw from Donovan Mitchell Donovan in the Mitchell. playoffs, like Old Depot can do that. But right. he didn't do it for that long. But now he thinks he's a superstar. Yeah. And they he all feels think like he's in this year. But he at, he at least has the resume of like, hey, remember those four months when I was a superstar? Right. And that right. makes it tough because it's like he's coming off a major injury and we haven't seen it since, but you're paying him basically for past performance, which is how you get in trouble in the NBA when you're paying somebody for what they did two years ago. Well, that's and why I don't you wait. really know the answer. You wait. That's why you have to wait. I think if you're the Pacers, if you're Oladipo, you bet on yourself and you wait too, because you know your value isn't where it should be or where you think it can be. So prove it. Would Prove you it. trade would you trade Turner and Aaron Holiday and your and the twenty-third pick, whatever pick they have for um for Rudy Gobert? For Rudy Gobert. Say it again. Aaron Holiday. Miles I like Turner. The, I like all the holidays, but I really like Drew better than Aaron. No offense to Aaron. I may love Aaron more someday. So if you're um, ranking the holidays, Drew is one. Yeah, Drew's one. I really like I, Drew. Holiday. I really like Aaron. That's why I thought no, I like if you Aaron put him too. and Turner together, that's like that's the foundation of something. Yeah, in the then and now, in the here and now, I like Aaron. I just don't know what Aaron is yet. I like all the holidays. I'm all in on the holidays. I'll take all Me three too. of them. Uh, so, Miles Turner, Rudy Gobert. So, can I just go on my little Rudy Gobert rant? Yeah, because I think he's available and I want to talk about him. So, I like, obviously, Rudy Gobert. Is a, he's a great defensive presence. He's a He's a star. But is he a superstar? I would say no. I would say no as well. And I... I think this part of what happened to their season went way under the radar a little bit this year. You know, we, we had the little beef between Rudy and Donovan, and I do believe that that can be patched up. We, we've 
talked about this a thousand times. Yeah. You don't have to love each other the most. You don't even have to really like each other. You just have to respect one another and, and get Draymond and KD accepted. I think that got too personal. That probably anyway. did. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Mikhail and Bird, we thought it did, but they're back around. They're good. I think. Yeah. Although I haven't asked them about it, but I think so. Anyway, the undercurrent during that Utah season when things weren't going that great and, you know, Conley wasn't, wasn't the fit they thought he was, although I think he could be, you know, but they just ran out of time right. and he missed, missed that shot. People forget about that shot. Just think if he oh made my God. that shot, Yeah, right? that Denver you know? went two extra rounds. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable, right? It's how, I remember talking, I mean, Mike Malone, he, he knows better than anyway. It, talk about make or miss league. It's so, so, so is. Ask Danny Green, who like won a championship and they're still not going to forgive him. Snoop Dogg goes off on him. My man, Snoop Dogg, what was he doing? I'm like so upset about that. Yeah. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting way off, way off topic. But when, they, when things weren't going well with them, even before the bubble, there was an undercurrent of him just like he wanted more touches. And yeah. I'm like, Dwight what? Howard syndrome. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, so... I, I'm I've, I'm not as all in on Gobert as other people. And and I, I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he, you know, I just think he's got a limited skill set for this world that we live in now, this NBA we live in now. And I wouldn't want to build my team around him. On the flip side, because okay. I agree with you. On the flip side, the Lakers just won a title by overpowering everybody. And they did. You were covering the league in the mid eighties when we had the twin towers in the finals against the big three. Right. And every team in the league is like, holy shit, we got to get bigger. And people started drafting centers 10 spots earlier than they should have gone. People started giving crazy free engine contracts to center leading to John Con John contract. John contract. (laughs) So, you know, John Consack. Shaq, uh, Shaq went to a game with his dad, they were, he was playing, I guess, probably with Atlanta at the time. I don't, I'd have to do the math. And, you know, they were living in San Antonio. And, and they, he's, Shaq, he got home and they're walking to the house. And his dad, like, whacks him on the back of the head. And Shaq turned and he goes, what the hell is that for? He goes, if that kid, if that white stiff can make all that money, you better make 10 times that. <laughs> like, his father was so <laughs> mad about that. Shaq loves telling that story. And McIlvain, too. That was another one. Oh, but, yeah. Good but yeah, God. so we had this run in the 80s. So we've seen this happen when there's an overcorrection to right. somebody that won the title. And in this case, it's like, if you're in the West, you have to go through LeBron and Davis, and you also have to go through Jokic. So yeah. in a weird way, Gobert is a little more valuable than he maybe was a year ago. But I'm with you. I don't feel like he's a he's franchise valuable, $28 million a year guy. Yeah, he's valuable, but not in the way the two guys are that you just mentioned. I mean, the yeah. reason Jokic is so valuable is because he does everything really but play center. I mean, he's a good rebounder and everything. But my God, he's an amazing passer. And Anthony Davis, I was wrong about him. Every time he took a three, I was like, if I'm guarding him, I'm like, amen, brother, keep shooting. I was a little bit wrong about that. You know, you you think that way about Giannis until he proves everybody wrong. And by the way, I think Giannis will get to the point where he'll shoot it well enough that he'll prove everybody wrong. But a coach, one of the a coach that I really respect said this to me about that. He's like, everybody is like, why doesn't Ben Simmons shoot threes? You know, he should be shooting threes. And he's like, even if he could shoot them, you know, adequately, the same thing's gonna happen at the end of the game that happens to Giannis at the end of the game. They're still going to give him the shot. So right. even if he hits to a game, just like Giannis, in the end, you're still going to bet on that as being your best default when you're guarding players like that. That's why but, you, it's no, it does you no good to be a middling three-point shooter. You either have but, to be able to shoot it or not. Davis, 
you couldn't give him the shot anymore. No, because, that's my point. Yeah, I, and he that was, surprised me. Yeah, that really did. His were they were wet. I mean, they weren't just like oh no, they no. weren't going through and like snapping the net, and no. where it just seemed like every time he shot one, it was going to go in. Yeah. I I got to be honest, I didn't know he did it during the season, but it's a little different with Very those kind different. of stakes, and somebody's still making them. So yeah, if I'm if I'm trying to win the title this year, like let's say let's take the Celtics. You knew they'd come Gee, up. Gee, I at can't some imagine. Point. I can't yeah, imagine no. why we would take that. Can't believe we talked about them. <laughs> um, you can't. You can't realistically win the title with the centers you had last year. You just can't. I mean, you couldn't even get to the finals this year with those centers. So, right. if there was ever a year for them to roll the dice, they have these three first-round picks. They have the Rob Williams and Langford kind of pseudo assets. Marcus, Somewhat. if they really wanted to get creative, Hayward is an expiring contract if they want to get creative. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're coming out of this with somebody who can play the five. I would huh. be shocked if they didn't. I'm interested to see if you're right, because I don't think that's how Brad Stevens views basketball, even after what happened to his team. And I might be wrong, but he's he's such a proponent of positionless, positionless, which is an impossible word to say. I'm going to try it again. Positionless. There, I did it. Basketball. <laughs> right. It's such a terrible word. And uh, and so I think he still believes, you know, maybe like Daryl Morey does, that it can happen because those guys are so heavily involved in analytics. I think you need a serviceable big. I think Daniel Tice, I, was, I really thought Daniel Tice gave him them just about everything he could at his size. It's funny to say that Daniel Tice is small, but when you start playing smash ball, bully ball, he's small. I know that sounds crazy, but he kind well, of is. And he gets he gets in foul trouble too easily is the other thing. Well, but that's, you know, I think a lot of that is just reputation. Like, I bet that'll change a year from now because this is the mm. first year that he played consistently and referees just immediately see big white guy from Germany or, <laughs> you know, I really do. I think he, I think the refs just, he never got a break on any of it. And I'm not complaining about it. I think there's a lot of people that fit into that category. We just happen to be talking about him. And I think next year, he gets a different look from the refs because I really do think that happens with young bigs. In the pantheon of Celtics who got treated with the most disrespect by referees, <laughs> not since Ed Pinkney, do I remember somebody <laughs> just getting less calls. Ed wow. Pinkney, just no calls. It almost ruined his career. They just would never <laughs> give him anything. Daniel Tice, same thing. But listen, what you say about Stevens is right. He believes in positionless basketball. Oh, it's how come you could successful. say that so easily? That makes me jealous and angry. What? You said that. Positional list. You said it so easily. Positionless. I just, I didn't times. do the pause between the position and the list. That's what it I is. just don't think you can win a title like that anymore. And if the goal is to win the title, yeah, they're not going to be able to do it with this kind of pseudo small ball lineup because it's not 2015 anymore. There's agreed. There's agreed. too many teams that you have to go through who have size. And even Miami weirdly seemed kind of small in that Lakers series. And I know they Bam did. was hurt. Yeah, um, Bam wasn't I don't, Bam. I don't know if they should have played Leonard and Olenek more just to have bodies to bang, but um, so but Olenek's they, that just was such my a legacy weird play. from that finals. But wasn't Olenek just such, he had such a weird series because he was, you know, nailed to the bench, which you understood because we saw him in Boston all those years and he just could never rebound. He, I never seen anybody who can't box out or doesn't know how or doesn't try. I don't know. He know he's, got, he's got short arms. Yeah, I know that short arm thing. But if you box out, it doesn't matter how long your arms are. If you have position, it does not True. matter. So that drove me crazy with him. And yet, when they played him, because they had to, because everybody was down, 
he kind of fit this the style of that series a bit because he yeah. could he could shoot he could space the floor a little bit so i kind of thought he should have played a little more to be honest Me too. i can't believe i'm saying that but i am yeah i i agree with you especially because it didn't seem like bam totally had it and i didn't realize how much I didn't realize how much Bam needed Dragic. And I think we forget that sometimes. And it made me think like looking at some of the available big men, you take somebody like Drummond, right? How many times has Drummond ever played with a good point guard? I'm not a huge Drummond fan. No, but right. he is a guy who can, you know, roll to the rim and be up yeah, around roll. the rim and all that stuff. And he's never played with anybody like Dragic. And you, you saw Bam without Dragic and all of a sudden he looked pretty ordinary. Right. Right. And I just wonder, like, does that make me want to take a roll of the dice on guys who have never been in the right situation? It's almost like a wide receiver who hasn't mm -hmm. played with the right quarterback yet. And I'm sure right. there's some dudes out there, but I think the Celtics need to get bigger. That's especially because now you have Brooklyn back. You're going to have Golden State yeah, back. That is Philly true. will be different. I don't know if they're going to be better or worse, but they'll at least be different than they were last year. And Denver will be a year older. We Maybe, don't know with Porter. So Maybe they can get Al Horford back. Is that what you want? <laughs> oh, man. For, for Hayward? <laughs> no. God. You can't do that. But Al Horford, isn't that just... What's happened to him is just... It's just unbelievable how quickly he was marginalized. Again, because 95%, there's 5% of the great players. You can put them on any team and it doesn't matter. Anthony Davis, LeBron, Giannis, mm. Harden, all those guys. And then the other 95%, or maybe that's a little too high. Let's say 90% of them. It's just so much about fit and yep. the fit for Al Horford. You took away what he wanted to do more than anything. When you played the Sixers, you took away his spacing, the pick and roll capability, all of that. And it's funny, you mentioned Drogic and he's a free agent, as you know, and all account, all, all, all indications are that Miami will re-sign him, you know? Yeah, but they should. Like just for a second, just play, let's play the, you know, the fun fantasy game. What if you put Drajic on the Milwaukee Bucks? Think about what he does for Giannis. I mean, my goodness. Now, obviously, I, I don't even think they have the space to even consider doing that. But it have to be a sign-and-trade. It would have to be a sign-and-trade, which will never happen. But it's a fun fantasy game because we keep hearing about Chris Paul to the Bucks, and I get why we keep hearing that because he would unlock the pick-and-roll for Giannis. He would do so many things for Giannis. And even more than Giannis, He'll help Chris Middleton so much. He'll take so much pressure off Chris Middleton, Chris Paul would, off, on the offensive end of the floor. And then, of course, he's still he's still very, very good defensively. And I know he's I know he's old, but I I really think they should figure out a way to make that happen. I'm serious. I weirdly think there's more of a market for Chris Paul than people realize there compared is. to what happened last year, where you had to give away first round picks to basically get rid of them. And now it's like. I said on Zach's pod, there's a Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre trade, hmm. Chris Paul to Phoenix that just works under the cap, right? And if, right. if OKC just wants to get rid of that contract, put Rubio in at half the price, they could spin Oubre to wherever, sure. and they're good to go. The Knicks, we know that the Knicks are being run by Leon Rose and World Wide West. Those are Chris's their guys. Those are Chris guys, yeah. Yeah, yep. and they're going to have the cap space. They're going to want them. Milwaukee's yeah. going to want them. So there's three teams right there, plus that fourth mystery team that we're probably not even thinking of. Right. And I do think there's a market for him, and I don't think Milwaukee's going to have enough. If I'm OKC, I, it's like, oh, cool, I can have Eric Bledsoe, the guy who's yeah who's falling bombing, apart in the last bombing. two postseasons, yeah, yeah, in the playoffs. No, I no know thanks. you're right, and they don't, and they don't have a ton of picks. They do have, I think they have their own pick this year, right? I think they do. 
But no, yeah, you're right. It probably that probably won't get it done. But I understand why everybody's so stuck on that and fascinated with that because if you if you look at Giannis, they should be running pick and roll for him, and they they don't. Not enough. Not yeah. enough for a, a player of his caliber and ability. The Clippers are in a weird situation too because they have this Montrezl Harrell extension. Everybody's just assuming they're going to do, and meanwhile. They couldn't play him against the Lakers or the Nuggets, right, the two teams right. they have to beat. Then you have Lou Williams, who's a disaster every postseason. And right. you have Patrick Beverly, who, you know, it got leaked out this week. Kawhi was like, hey, can we get a point guard who can right, actually yeah. like, create shots for other guys? Right. So it Rondo. feels like something's going to happen. Yeah, it could be a Rondo. Rondo team. No, Rondo makes so much sense for them on so many levels, um, I think. You know, Lawrence Frank knows Rondo. Ty Lu knows Rondo. Rondo loves those guys. And, you know, you muddle through with him during the regular season because for whatever reason, that's how it has to go, it appears. And then, you know, I mean, the Lakers do not win that championship without Rondo. Not even close. You know, when you think about how much they were struggling in the bubble before he came back. And then he came back and it was like like that. And part of it is because he, he can go up to LeBron, he can go up to AD, and he can tell them, you're not doing that right. Or why aren't you doing that? Or like he, I did a piece with him and he was saying to me, like I had to tell LeBron, like, Stop looking at Kyle Kuzma like that. Do you understand like you, how young Kyle Kuzma is and you are LeBron James and you look at him like that? He's devastated for the next three days. Right. That was I mean, a great he, quote. But it's true. Like you can't do that. And, and so Rondo's the guy that can bring some, some levity to that. And then, you know, in talking with Alan Gentry while, while Rondo and uh, Anthony Davis were together in New Orleans, it was Rondo that was saying to him like, hey man, like you keep saying you want to win, but you got to give us a lot more than what you're giving us because you're the only chance we have at winning. Like, so dude, pick it up. Every team needs like that. And if there is a team that needed someone like that, I don't know, there was, there was a better example of that than the Clippers. Because Kawhi Leonard is like, I don't know, he's a ghost. Like, I, I, I don't know what kind of personality he, I mean, I, I keep wanting to hear the stories about, oh, he's so different than what you know. Like, he's so different in the locker room. I haven't heard that yet. It may be true, but I haven't heard that. And Paul George isn't that guy. So like Rondo, no. Rondo, I would hope that they would have enough respect for Rondo to take whatever he has to dish out and say, all right, yeah, he's right. Let's, let's do this. I think Rondo is such a great fit for the Clippers. It's a great idea. I wish I had thought of it. We had Dudley okay. on the pod last week, me, Dudley and Rosillo, and Dudley was talking about Rondo. And he, he said him and LeBron are at a whole other level IQ-wise. Oh, you yeah. have those guys together and they're just solving stuff. You know, as a longtime Rondo guy, hmm. I was so happy, even though I hate the Lakers with every piece of my body. Right. I was so happy that he kind of had this moment, right? If you're talking about winners from the bubble. Yep. Oh, once you was, go through like yeah. Davis and, you know, Tyler sure. Hero, you go through all the, but then Rondo is definitely one of the, like the eight big winners because his career was basically done. And this was a guy that, 100%. you know, until he blew out his knee in Boston. Right. I would have said, is Rondo Hall of Famer? I'd be like, lock, lock it down. Yeah. yeah. His, the he, body of his, the fact that he came into the league when he was like 19, right. all the reps that he got in 08, 09, 2010. Right. And it was just, he was headed. I, I thought Chris Paul was better than him, but if it was like Chris Paul, Darren Williams, Rondo, Rondo was clearly like a close third to Darren Williams. Yeah, and then well, it just he was, fell apart. 
he was just so more, much more mentally tough than Darren Williams yeah. was. And, he, you know, his problem was he just never could shoot. And he still really can't shoot unless the cape's on the line, which is just a whole other thing. But, you know, one of the things he told me in that story I did with him was when he tore his ACL, it's funny, you know, they were playing the Heat. Was it the Heat? Yeah, it was the Heat. And someone had, you know, he had, Rondo had left and come back and he was coming back to see the doctor. And, uh, and one of the other reporters, not me, Mark Murphy, I think from the Herald tweeted out that Rondo had a torn ACL. And I was like, Oh my God. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go back into the, and wait for him to come back. Cause he was, I knew he was coming back. So I'm waiting for him in the hallway. And I run into Dwayne Wade who's running into the back to go to the bathroom. He goes, what are you doing out here? I said, Rondo tore his ACL. He's like, oh, man. He goes, oh, you know, I hate that guy, but that's the worst. Like, it was such a visceral response because nobody ever, right. they can hate, be competitors all they want, but his face was just like, oh, you know. So then Rondo comes walking in and I go, he's with, I forget who, someone from the Celtics. And I said, hey, God, I'm sorry. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you know, about your, uh, your knee. He's looking at me and I go, you tore your ACL. And he's looking at me, he goes, nobody's told me that yet. I was like, ooh. But it wasn't me, man. Someone else had oh, already man. tweeted it. But that's how, yeah, it was bad. I felt terrible. And he went in there. Doris Burke was working, and she was outside. You know, she got to go in. I wasn't, I wasn't doing the game for TV or anything. And then she came back out and said, yeah, he's tore it. But, like, someone, you know, it got leaked to us, to the media, before he even knew, unless he was, you know, putting me on, which I guess is possible. All right. I remember I was doing TV that day because I was on Countdown that year. Okay. It was a yeah. Sunday game. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And the weird thing about it, that was the weirdest ACL injury ever because I think he kept playing after. He did for a little bit. And, it, he... and then he walked off the court and it it seemed, and I remember watching it like, oh man, he probably sprained his MCL. Yeah, yeah. And that was the one time when the ACL thing came back. I was like, I couldn't yeah. believe it because well, it was yeah, like, he... oh, he didn't tear his ACL. And he told me just when I did this story in the finals, he told me, he said, that, that injury did me in. And yeah. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, not only because it was a bad injury, but it was more than that. He said, because I hurt myself doing something I had done 8,000 times before. So when I started to rehab and started to play again, every time I went to do, it was like, kind of my, remember he was like off, but he was just throwing like that. It was just a weird. Yeah. And he said, it just was in my head. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to do this again. He said, I really almost retired. Like I really had a very hard time getting over that ACL injury. It really, he said, I was a different player before that. I was never the same player. And, and then, you know, then he goes, you know, he goes to Dallas and the whole thing with Rick Carlisle, all of us knew that wasn't going to be a good match. And, you know, Carly to his credit said, look, it was a bad match. It was a worse match for him with us than us with him, you know, because we just, we had no shooters. We had Dirk, but we had, yeah. you know, it just wasn't a good fit. And then Bill Duffy told me his agent, longtime agent, said that, you know, they're uh, they're trying to find him a job after Sacramento, and they're calling around and they nobody will nobody will take him. So he calls he calls John Paxson in in Chicago and says, "Hey man, like, keep an open mind. W what about Rondo?" And Paxson's like, "Oh man, I don't know." And he said, "Oh, call uh, I'm going to forget his name now. He's." He's a scout that discovered Tony Kukoc for the Bills. He's, uh, he's from Serbia or wherever. And his son had played on Sacramento, didn't play much, but was on that team. 
And Bill Duffy says, go talk to this, go talk to that scout of yours and go talk to his son. I'm telling you, Rondo's this incredible teammate because Rondo would go to the G League games of these kids that were yeah. the rookies at the end of the bench. And so that's how they convinced Chicago to give him another shot. Well, I, I mean, Rondo's been public about this. I, Doc really did him disservice when, you know, I, I think he kind of damaged him around the league a little bit by talking about how difficult he was. That was definitely a that thing was, that happened. It definitely happened. But but I, in fairness to Doc, I think Rondo deserves some of that. <laughs> like it's, True. You know, it's pretty hard when you think you're the smartest guy in the room. And even if you are, you just have to show a little respect to your coaching staff, for instance, you know. So, I mean, and Rondo and Doc are fine now. They're they're on that group text that they're all on with oh, Big yeah. Baby. And, you know, they're they're fine. But they were both just really sick of each other, much like I would say Chris Paul and Doc by the time they were through. Another guy that's pretty smart and thinks he knows a lot. And, you know, Doc's a former point guard. And after a while, that, that stuff wears on you. But it always works out in the end. Like, I think Chris, if Chris Paul and Doc Rivers were in a room, you know, sharing some little baby quiches or something, I think they'd probably have a pretty good conversation at this point. It's funny. D Dudley on the pod last week was talking about the Clippers. Uh -huh. that that era because he was on one of those teams and Doc played him when he was hurt which we yeah. didn't talk about on the pod but it was oh, a pretty okay. famous pretty famous yeah. NBA story yeah, like yeah. Uh, yeah. he really put him in a position to fail but he was saying that 14 Clipper team when they blew that OKC series mm. he said the ramifications were beyond that year because once that happened he was like they're never going to win now with that with that group and when he said when they fell apart the next year against Houston he wasn't surprised because he was like that OKC thing was so traumatic. Wow. He yeah. just didn't feel like that nucleus was ever going to rebound right. from it. I'd never heard that before, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Because yeah, that is interesting. Those two Clipper years in retrospect are pretty amazing because they literally could have won the title either year and they didn't even get to the conference finals. Yeah, no, all sorts of weird stuff happened all around that. And, you know, I remember talking to Paul Pierce about his time with the Clippers and, you know, his relationship with Doc was very damaged during his time there, too. Yes. And, and again, in fairness to Doc, Paul Pierce wasn't who he was. He wasn't the truth anymore. He was sort of like a half-truth, maybe, you know? And so he went there thinking something different than what happened. And there wasn't communication. That was the part that surprised me because that's what Doc's so good at is communication. I think at one point, Paul told me Doc was going to trade him. And he came in mm. and said, I, I think it might even been to like the Knicks or something. I, I might, I'm sorry, my memory's starting to go, but... And, 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 and Paul's like, you are not, I did not come all the way out here for you to do that to me. Like, you're not doing it. And, and to his credit, Doc's like, okay, I guess we won't. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a lot the of last time you were on this podcast, we were talking about Doc's future and I was saying he's going to Philly. And, yeah. Yeah. And it ended up happening. What do you think he does there? Where, if you were, if you, if you were Doc's conciliary with that job, I told him to take the year off. He didn't listen to me. I'm already... <laughs> Do TV. <laughs> right. Yeah, I told him to sit on your deck and drink, you know, drink Chardonnay. You didn't listen, man. Um, well, I think you got to develop a rapport with, with Embiid almost immediately. And then right after that, a rapport with Ben Simmons. Because I really think it's So possible. that would be the order? You would go Embiid, then Simmons for only the... Because, only because I think Ben Simmons is used to Embiid. Embiid's like the face, the centerpiece, you know. And we can argue all day which one we would take. Uh, it would I, be a hard I would go Simmons. Yeah. I mean, I, Simmons is so talented. And I think he just, he doesn't, I don't think he needs the adulation. If anything, you know, I did a long piece with him this past calendar year too. And he said to me, you know, the one thing I don't like about myself is that I need someone to kick me in 
the rear end. Mm. I wish I could kick myself in the rear end. I said, you're young. You know, that'll come. But he was saying like, like the, uh, and I'm drawing a blank right now. He's his high school coach at Mount Verde. who's done such an amazing job. It's a simple name. Oh, I'm, bla- I'm blanking on it. But anyway, that guy would ride him like nobody's business. And he loved it. He, that's what he responded to. So I don't think he needs to be loved. You know, I think Embiid needs to be loved. Does that make sense? And yeah. so, so give Embiid a little love and then say to Simmons, you should be this, this, and this. I'm going to kick you in the, in the rear end. And, and, and I still think that team can work. We know from, from past years, not last year, that those two can succeed on the floor together. We have the numbers that tell us that. We have the, we have the data if people are interested in that. So, you know, Jimmy Butler... There's no use talking about whether Jimmy Butler was going to stay or go. They they did want him to stay. He his relationship with Brett Brown was untenable. It just was. They weren't going to Well, stay. but that, but that's that's on them though because we all kind of thought coming out of that Toronto series that was going to be it for Brett Brown and they right. decided not to bring him back. Right. Which that's right. I think that's one of the reasons that cost them Jimmy Butler. I don't think they were going to go to 5 years for Butler. Probably either. not. Probably not and they should have. They should have because he was well, like, you talk about closing out games. Think about that series that with Kawhi. Again, let's talk about bounces. Bounce, 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 right. bounce, bounce. Four bounces, I think, goes through. If it doesn't, who, who knows? knows? Who knows? And so Jimmy Butler was the closer in that series. It wasn't Embiid. Well, it wasn't Simmons. It was Jimmy Butler for the It's Sixers. a good thing I don't have seven Philly fans in my life who didn't bring this up to me a hundred thousand times right. over the last four weeks. Sorry, I mean, man. It is brutal because they love Jimmy Butler in those playoffs because he was such a badass. Oh, he was so great. Yeah, he, he really was, so was going toe-to-toe with uh, with Kawhi in a lot of ways. That he was. Series. But he's in the perfect place because yeah. he, he is in the... He, he was like Pat B- B- Riley's long-lost second son by the yeah. way he thinks... He's, he's a maniac about conditioning, which is the way Pat Riley is. They still have the body fat thing going on there where you got to, you know, you get your body fat checked every few weeks and there's penalties if you don't make it. And that goes across the board from one through 12 centers, forwards, there's different body percentage rates for each position and everything, but they believe in that. That is part of it. And Jimmy Butler lives for that. He lives for it. And well, and, and the chance to be part of like a real family, because I think yeah. like he had this in Marquette too, Sure, where I, it, the more you look back at his NBA career, it seems like it was more than just being on a good team. There were all these things that he expected would happen. And he was always like bitterly disappointed yeah, yeah. at each stop. Like, well, this and this, and this guy doesn't right. try hard and this coach isn't good. And, mm. and now he found this Nirvana that he was looking for. It was, I can't remember a player who wasn't like a great player flipping the script on how everybody felt on him going forward. Because now I think people would say he's a top eight guy, which seems inconceivable. It's also inconceivable in this day and age that you can be that dominant of a player unless you're seven feet tall or can shoot threes. And he's neither. He is like all the mid-range people out there are saying, thank you, Jimmy. There is a place for the mid-range game. DeMar Rosen somewhere has probably should have sent him flowers. You know? <laughs> well, you could probably do a documentary on this conundrum he's in. Dragic is out. Bam's 50%. If that, he's, gu- yeah. he's guarding LeBron on one end. And on the other end, the Lakers are like, we got to take out this guy. Let's put Anthony Davis, Davis on, him, on him. The number yeah. one nightmare other than Giannis. Right. We have. And he's just navigating this for multiple finals games. I'm going to guard the best player in the last 25 years. Right. On one end. And on the other end, 
I had this to... like octopus guarding me and he had 35, 12 and 12 and was playing good defense. Unbelievable. And to, and to think that that was sustainable, like every time, what, what do the Heat need to do to win? Everyone's like, Jimmy Butler's got to score 40. I'm like, that's not how the Heat are constituted. That's not how it's supposed to work. That's right. too much to ask. And, and, you know, he finally ran out of gas, obviously, at the end. But my God, he's a, he, like you said, he flipped the switch. And, and remember, was it two years ago? Well, I mean, when he's blowing his way out of Minnesota and they have all the drama there. And I mean, he's just the biggest malcontent in the league. And why would anybody take a chance on him? That was pretty much the, uh, the ongoing narrative with that kid. Tibbs. Incredible. I, I talked to Tibbs about this in the last, before he got hired. And he made the point of like, hey, when we had all our dudes in Minnesota, we were really good. We were like mm -hmm. the fifth best team in a really tough conference. And then we had injuries. Mm -hmm. But he was kind of pro. We've seen what Butler can do. Oh, yeah, 100%. He's like around. He, like he really be still believed in him. He didn't yeah, feel he never by him at all. No, he never felt that way. But it was the younger guys. You know, obviously, Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns have beef. That's probably not going to go away. And uh, yeah, my, my money's on Jimmy on that on that beef. Oh yeah. Well, so John Calipari <laughs> called him a bully, and I was thinking, um, I did this story with on the just the two of them, and and John Calipari said, well, he just tried to bully Carl, and I'm thinking, oh man, the last thing you need is your coach calling someone else a bully for you. Yeah, you that's know? not great. Yeah. So you never told me what your big prediction was. You, I mean, what's your actual player movement player movement bombshell prediction? prediction? Do you have one? Hmm. That I'm won't gonna... get aggregated by thirty blogs. Yeah, no, not, there's not no something you're a... reporting. Just a gut yeah, feeling. Something, something that I wouldn't I would be love... shocked if this happened. I wouldn't be shocked if this happened. Ah, oh, man. See, I just don't think it's gonna happen because there's not enough time for the blockbuster. Okay. That, I mean, I'm gonna say Chris Paul. I mean, Chris Paul's gonna. I mean, is that a blockbuster? He's on the move. No. So, what if he goes to Milwaukee? Then it's a blockbuster. It's you're putting them in the same position when Cleveland kept doing those big moves with guys right. who weren't as good as they used to be to try to keep LeBron there. And it just, yeah, but I think this is different. I think this is different because I think Chris Paul is good enough, good enough for what they need in Milwaukee. And think about Milwaukee now. What did they do before the pandemic started? They kept all of their starters, including the MVP and defensive player in the year at 30 minutes a game or less. And just think about how good Chris Paul would be if you kept him at 30 minutes a game or less. I think he'd be much better. He's going to be 36 next year, which scares the hell out of me. No, I, he did I get change it. His, he changed his diet. He did that yeah. whole plant-based diet thing, and it actually seemed yeah. like it had a real effect on him. What do you see the Lakers doing out of curiosity? Because I, I don't think they're going to have Rondo. And they may not have Caldwell Pope, which is so funny. Isn't that ironic? I mean, he's a Rich Paul client. They brought him in. And, and you know, he was the guy before they wanted to put Kyle Kuzma out into the middle of the field, with, you know, put him up with the scarecrows and everything. Now it's, then it was, for first it was Contavious Caldwell Pope. Everybody, you know, all these Lakers fans wanted him run out of town. He yeah. had a really good series for them. He had a really good finals for them. He's going to opt out, I think. Does he re-sign with them? I'm not well, cause sure. Because he, he still needs to get the money back that, his agents cost him a couple of years ago when he turned down that extension or whatever right. from Detroit. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it wasn't there anymore. So, yeah, so let me ask you this. So Dwight Howard. Oh he, God. He okay. But he proved to be very serviceable for them, whether you like him or not. He, oh, proved, God. he had a value. He did. did he, he had a value for them. Yeah, I well, guess he did. No, he did. I don't like, I don't uh, like the way he man, plays. I, don't, I, I didn't this. like, 
I didn't, I'm sorry. He didn't, I didn't like the whole Jokic thing, the goading with Jokic and all that, which didn't work because Jokic is too smart. But, but here's the thing. I think it's going to make him think I'm worth more than the Lakers are paying me and someone will pay him. So maybe he moves on too. He was such a goon in the finals. It was. was like watching Ken Linsman try to just Ken high stick Linsman, people. The rat, the rat. I <laughs> stick people in the head, try to get a two minute slashing. I think you're insulting Ken's Linsman. I probably that. am. Yeah. If he was coming out the, that Miami series, he it really seemed like he was just trying to, you know, borderline yeah. hurt. Bam. Like he was just all elbows, shoulders, everything. It's too bad and, too, because you do realize I know you don't like him, but you do realize that dude is a first ballot Hall of Famer. First oh, I ballot, know. I know. You know? He so. was the best center in the league for seven years. Anyway. He really was. But as you know what? As soon as Yao he started to fade, he took over. He told me something once that I still cannot get over. We were sitting in a restaurant in Atlanta. I think he has a house in Atlanta. I guess that's why we were in Atlanta. And uh, he was telling me, I was talking about just centers and uh, big men and how they, now everybody has to, you know, be able to stretch the floor. And he, you know, Dwight's shooting motion was always so nice. I'm like, can you stretch the floor? And he's like, oh man, I, I go into practice and uh, I can hit 75, 15 to 16 footers in a row. I go, well then what happens? He goes, well then I get in a game and I'm like, what if I miss? Everyone's going to like make fun of me. And I'm just looking at him. I was oh like, my I, God. Couldn't, I couldn't even believe it. And I, and I was like, wow, that's, that's something, <laughs> you know, I think he's, I think he's worked with like a life coach or mental health counselor or whatever, whatever terminate, you know, sports psychologist or whatever, since that conversation. But I just was sitting there looking at him going, you're, you're like one of the greatest big men of all time. And that's what you're telling. I couldn't believe it. It just proves how fragile all these athletes are that we think are just, you know, bulletproof. Well, especially so, somebody like him who comes in the league when he's 18. I remember yeah. I got a mailbag question. Must've been like 10 years ago from somebody who had just watched the movie Big with Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. And was like, is it possible Dwight Howard is the real-life version of that guy? He's like a 13-year-old trapped exactly. in a 30-year-old body. I was like, yeah, it's not it's not impossible. No, but, he's had such a wayward journey, boy. Well, I'm sure you could vouch for this. I mean, the Celtics really did think about him last preseason. Um, but they were very they, There was a tire kick, and then they, they talked they were, themselves out of it. Well, they were very split. Yeah, that, that group was there was a lot of yays and a whole bunch of nays and nobody was in the no one was vacillating. You know, he is such a polarizing player. I think I don't think he would have worked there, honestly. I don't think so either. But yeah. that's how far his career had sunk. I really think LeBron is maybe the only guy who would have salvaged him. What did, just before we go, what did you I know you like reading the tea leaves and looking reading between mm -hmm. the lines on this stuff. The LeBron, some of the stuff he said about put some respect on my oh, name, stop, all that stuff. Stop, Just as somebody who's stop. covered him his whole career. What, what did you take away from that? That's, that's who he is. You know, this passive aggressive, it's, he's, it's, it makes me mad because I, I thought what he did was just incredible. Me too. Incredible. Start to finish. Just, I mean, when people were arguing earlier in the finals about who the MVP was, I'm like, are you out of your minds? I don't care how good Anthony Davis is. There, there's just no way they get here without LeBron. He was just, he was spectacular in every way. He was a great leader. He played defense. He took games over. You know, he, he got everybody involved that needs to get involved, including Anthony Davis, by the way. And I'm not dissing Anthony Davis. It's just like, to me, it wasn't even close. So, and then he wins and, and you want to like, 
you know, you want to give him his due. We all gave him his due. But then he says that and you're like, I'm like, oh, come on now. What nonsense. Shenanigans is my famous expression for that. Absolute shenanigans. Who is not respecting you? By the way, who are all these numb unnamed people that didn't respect you besides Skip Bayless? Who are they? Right. Well, I think, isn't that how you get to that point? You have to make up these imaginary yeah. slights and Michael, these I mean, little Michael, carrots. Michael did it. I don't remember Larry ever doing that. Michael did it. I think doc, someone told me Dr. J did it, which surprised me. Um, you know what's funny? So I had Dr. J on my podcast eight years ago when I was back at Grantland. He had a lot of that in the interview. And I, I, I really? love it. But a okay, lot yeah, of I like... I don't feel like it's bird and magic. I never get mentioned. It bothers me because I saved the league kind of stuff where well, I could tell it really bothered him. And he was right. He was the only yeah, marketable star they had for five years. Yeah, there's some real truth to that. And I think it's how Isaiah Thomas feels too. We we skip right over the bad boy Pistons and what they did. I don't. We, yeah, you and I, I don't. don't. Never, never. I was there for all of it. I was there for all of it. And I was embedded in that locker room. I, I, I've told people this before, you know, when I was doing the league notes and covering all that stuff, which gosh, it's so hard. All the guys that do it, you know, Shams and Woj and all those guys, I, God bless them. I never want to do it again. I did it for a short amount of time. It damn near killed me. And right. people always are like, well, the Celtics always told you everything wrong, man. It was the Pistons. I'd walk in there and Bill Ambeer would be like, there's a woman in here. What the hell are you doing? And he'd be ragging all day. And I'd be like, rah, 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 you know, and then everybody would leave and I'd sit down with him and go, okay, guys, what's going on? You know? Right. So I had great respect for those teams. I had great respect for those guys. You know, Isaiah, he is a smiling assassin. He has a little bit of a, all of them do, right? He had a little bit of a, uh, veneer that probably wasn't a hundred percent. He's just such a, really a little tough, bit. It was a lot of bit. Yeah. I think that's what yeah. got him in trouble. I mean, he was Jimmy Butler really in a lot of yeah. ways, but he, without the, you know, Jimmy Butler just never bothered with the veneer, if you will. So I think that's what did in Isaiah more than anything. You know, Isaiah should have owned a little more of that of himself. I think you think he would have been better off, frankly. But when, when you do talk about these champions, we, we do always gloss over Isaiah. I'm not sure why. Think about what he accomplished at his size. At his size. Well, here's the thing. Because I remember I got it like a few months ago. I was talking about, oh, I still think he's the best pure point guard ever. But there's this incredible case for Chris Paul using stats. Sure. Right? Stats only. And if you were just, if you showed them to some 15-year-old who loves basketball and loves event, future Daryl Morey, they mm -hmm. would crunch the stats and be like, there's no way. Chris Paul's way better than Isaiah Thomas. And they would point to like, oh, look Not at when it matters. Three points. Not yeah, when it matters. My thing was like, all right. First of all, I was there. So I, I feel like, and you were too, but I, I yeah. feel like that matters a little, but he was the best player and leader and most important guy on this really weird Pistons team that won two straight titles during this impossible era for talent where right. it was just so competitive. And with, I, I just don't think Chris Paul, if you switch them, I don't care how efficient he is. I don't think he would have been able to drive, drive that car. Well, and you know, I, I honestly, nobody in the history of the league is Kuzi couldn't do it way back when. He didn't mm. win a title till Russell showed up. But Isaiah is the only little guy who was the best guy on a title team like that. And the only guy that just was like toughness is overused all the time. But yep. he was so nasty. And I mean that in the most positive way. He tried way. to Again, strangle his own trainer that time. Like, remember? Yeah. Yeah. Abdenauer? I don't yeah. remember that. I do remember, not know that. I don't remember, remember that. He got elbowed in the eye and the guy came over and he got so mad and he like, there's a great video oh, I don't, clip of I don't, it. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember that. He punched Mike Bill Cartwright. Bill Cartwright was like oh, a foot taller than him. Yeah, yeah, that I remember. But Mike Abdenauer is the greatest. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Isaiah reminds me of Jimmy Butler in that way. That nastiness, like it, 
you can't manufacture that nastiness. And I do think it comes from people who had it really tough growing up, as both of those guys did. I mean, I remember when we were doing basketball, love story. One of the stories Isaiah told was, you know, he was so talented. He lived in a horrible part of Chicago. Half the time they didn't have heat, running water, you know, the oh, lights yeah. were always going out, all that stuff. But he, he went to this, you know, really cushy private school because he could play basketball. But he had to take a bus from the city and then he had to take a subway. And then he had to walk like a mile and a half in a cold Chicago winter. And he said he'd be he'd be walking to school and he'd see his teammates driving by in their, you know, Mercedes with their parents. And he'd get to school and he'd be like, dude, what's the deal? And the kid would say, oh, I'm sorry, man. But, you know, my parents, uh, you know, they're, they're they don't really want right. a black kid in their car. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? That's. That's the environment that Isaiah Thomas grew up in. I mean, his childhood was so terrible. They made a TV movie out of his childhood. Remember? It was like Cicely Tyson was his mom or one of those kind of actors. I don't remember But in the this. early mid-80s. Yeah, it's, I think it's on YouTube. Oh, but there was that, that Briggs, Briggs of the Game, there was that great story about Bob Knight going to recruit yeah, him. Yeah, so And sad. people asking what they're going to get. And then Bob Knight standing up and being like, you're going to end up a loser just like him and pointed yeah. to his older brother and stormed out. And right. then they were like, oh my God, what do we do? But we do? yeah, I mean, yeah. he had a yeah. terrible childhood. He did. Um, but I, I think it's one of those things that's what really worries me with stats. And I think Carl Malone's going to be another one that a hundred years from now, hopefully the planet will still be here. But when they're hopefully. looking at the basketball and they'll be like, oh, Carl Malone was the best forward of all time. Look at oh, these you're stats. still going to blame me for this. Good God. Can I'm not ever... blaming you. Oh, oh okay. Because usually no, you blame I'm me saying for the, the statistical resume yeah. of Carl Malone. That yeah. People no, but will see, just look at that and they'll be like, oh, well, he did make two finals. I just remember the first time analytics really started to be in vogue. Um, there was a list and I, I don't remember who compiled it, <laughs> but it was a list of the all time greatest centers. <laughs> and Bill Russell was sixth. <laughs> and I was like, really? Because <laughs> I don't know. How about a little bit of an eye test here? 11 out of 13, you know, and don't yeah. tell me, I don't, you know, what they say was, well, the league was deluded. Well, you know, Will Chamberlain played back then. I mean, the dude, he was pretty good. Jerry West played then. He was pretty good. I don't good. understand the league was diluted thing because they had less either. players anyway. They had no yeah. foreign players. And there like, were a lot of really amazing, you know, Hall of Fame players playing during that time. I just 100%. named two, two of like the greatest of all time. So Bill I, Russell's I'm leaning sixth. more and more toward like a generational goat thing where there are these yeah, four eras. There's these four eras of basketball that are just so distinct and different. And yeah, yeah, I like agree even with Isaiah that. Thomas, it's like if you just put Isaiah in a time machine from 1981 and put him in the league now, he'd be like a 45% three point shooter. He would be. He would be shooting 10,000 threes every, every day. And, and he'd be guarding you like the length of the court, which yeah. no one really does anymore. But he, back when he played, there wasn't, you didn't shoot threes ever. And it was like a, a dumb shot unless you were Larry Bird trying to clinch a game, basically. Who, who didn't want to shoot it either, by the right. way? You know, hated yeah. it. Still hates it. All right. Well, next time, so next time you come on, we're bringing Bob Ryan on with us. Oh, that would be so fun. Of course, and, you and I won't get to say anything, but that's okay. I love no, Bob No, we're Ryan. just going to nod. It will be us on the Zoom nodding. Yeah. We're just going to prop him up. But He's um, my hero. You know that. He's uh, No, man, my I, I, owe, I owe so much to him for, in my career. God, so much. You know, in Boston, you just need three people to say you're okay if you're doing my job. Will McDonough, Bob Ryan, and Red Arback. If you got those, well, Larry Bird, I guess you're four. You get those four white dudes to back you up. You're in great shape in Boston. I mean, his nickname is literally the commissioner. Commissioner. Yeah. He's the best. <laughs> I told you this story when we were worried about the fours closing down, which how, how uh, are we looking on the fours? Not good, man. Not, not good. good. 
No, I don't think so. I think it's I think it's over. Oh, I, I'm so sad about it. I, I can't even. I can't believe I even brought it up. I, I was know, telling you so about terrible. going into the fours when I was a kid, and they had a framed piece Bob Ryan wrote about the game six of the 1981 finals, like his gamer, because he was like right. the greatest gamer ever. And I remember at Grantland, we had Brian Curtis did a, a feature about gamers because Oh really? Bob, oh, Bob kind of yeah. Bob kind of created the gamer, like it was like a column oh. crossed with a game thing. Unbelievable! And so it had that frame thing. And every time I would go into the fours before Celtic game, and I would I would go and look at that thing. And be like, oh, that's someday funny. I'll, someday yeah. I'll have a piece in the fours. But yeah, did you ever was, see him at the fours? Because he was always there. What, what are you? Are you kidding? Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Many I mean, times. I, he didn't know this, but I knew that he used to go there for dinner before the game. I was in my twenties, you know. So I used to go there and pretend I just happened to be going there before the game. And he'd say, oh, sit with me. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Well, what a great idea. <laughs> I totally yeah, he was, did that. We definitely accosted him a few times in the late 90s, yeah, mid-90s, never, late never 90s. Cared. Never, never, He was available cared. for any basketball combo. You just yeah. go right up to him and be like, hey. Never cared. He Russell was, or Chamberlain. People don't understand, I don't think, like about newspapers and his off-day notes, which was, so if the Celtics played like, back-to-back games, which, which they did all the time. Once in a great while, not often, they wouldn't practice because, you know, now no one ever practices. But back then, you practiced every day. But once in a great while, you know, maybe they'd be flying back from Sacramento, let's say, and they wouldn't practice the next day. But you had to have something. As a beat person, you had to have something in the paper every day. So Bob Ryan would have what we called the off-day notes, which would just be like a 60 line for people. That's like 600 words. For yeah. most of us, it'd be 600 words. For him, it was always a thousand words. But his off-day notes were the best thing in the paper that day. I mean, he would have these incredible... He was doing analytics before analytics. I think I've told oh, you yeah. before. These notebooks full of all these statistics that he handed to me when I took over the beat. And he said, you must fill these out every night. Don't fall behind. And he was, he was so right about that. So he was just so f- far ahead of his time. Well, he also had... I remember I was writing a column after 2012. Derrick Rose blew out his knee. Hey, I got and my Derrick Rose. Hold on. I got to show you this. I got my Derrick Rose. Uh, oh, Adidas. look at that. Look at that. Yeah, it's funny That's you mentioned Derrick. Yeah. Derrick Rose blew out his knee and I decided to write a column about asterisk titles, which I don't like the word asterisk. So it was about footnote titles. Okay. And I was trying to figure out, you know, all the footnote titles and rank them. And mm-hmm. I called Bob Ryan because I was like, hey, my dad is still complaining about Havlicek separating his shoulder in 73. Like, how big of a footnote was this? And like, I literally he had no prep at all. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, if they got, they would have won the title that year because the next round, they were 4-0 against the Lakers and Cowens used to kill Wilt. I think he was 28 and 14 against yeah, Wilt that year. Yeah. And I actually looked all of it up and it was like dead on. Spot it was on. like he tapped into this computer and his, it was literally yeah. 40 years ago. I can't remember the stats the day after a game, right. the day after a game. And I just sit there and listen to him. I, I've told this story before, but we're at the World Series, you know, when the Red Sox are about to win their first ever World Series. Yeah. And uh, it's like the fifth inning and they're winning. You know, I forget what the score was at that point, but it was just obvious they were going to win, you know. So he said to me, what are you, you going to write? I go, I don't know. Like the, the game's not over. I, I'm going to wait till the game's over. And he goes, oh, not me. Mine's done. Do you want to read it? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, no. so, so I read it and it was brilliant. <laughs> you know, it was historical context. And I was like, oh, God, why am I here? I might as well just go home now, you know? And I was sitting there and I thought about it and I'm like, okay, 
I, I'm not Bob Ryan. So I just have to write about how I feel as a lifelong Bostonian whose husband had the champagne popped in 86 waiting yeah. for me. Yeah. All that. So that's what I ended up writing. But you can't even believe what he had conjured up in his mind. And I know he, you know, he didn't have any, he wasn't looking any of it up. It was, it was just unbelievable column. People should go back and look at it. You know, we used to sit behind the press table. Oh, you we did? still, we still do, but uh-huh. you know, my dad had those tickets and I could always kind of watch the reporters sitting there. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people would just have their heads down. They were typing as the yeah. game was going on. And I would always see him. He was always like looking around yeah, and yeah. studying all these different things. And I would sometimes would just watch him watching and be like, oh, so that's what you do. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wonder what he's looking for. He was always trying to like oh, pick up little variables about the game, which is what when I go to the games, I try not to look at my phone if I'm at a basketball game. Sure. Like, sure, I really but- want to look at stuff because you can learn so much from the way the teammates oh, yeah. are interacting. It's um, incredible. I remember the well, first time I walked in with him to a game. Yeah, I was probably 19, I don't know, 83 or four or something like that. I didn't do the 81 finals. I was in college still, you know, I got there in 82 and, and I walked in with him and I mean, it's not that he knew everyone because he did. Everyone just came right up to him. The ushers, the, uh, you know, the, the timekeepers, the fans, the players, the GMs, the referees. And I was like, how do you ever get to this point? How do you ever get to the point where when you walk in, everybody wants to tell you something? It was just, it was an amazing thing to watch. It really was. Well, that was what the, I mean, my favorite book ever, Breaks of the Game. Yeah. The thing Halberstam did, he was smart. He was like, I got to get Bob Ryan. Yep. And Bob yep. Ryan became like his conciliary for the book, basically, and yeah, pointed yeah. him in all the right directions and all. So I just felt like he was like you know, the pseudo co-author of it. I have a framed photograph of myself and David Hobblestam at Fenway Park. It's one of my treasured oh, wow. possessions. Yeah. He um he's such a he was such a wonderful man. And I was at Fenway. I mean, you gotta be you're probably talking the eighties here. And yeah. uh, maybe even like eighty six. I don't I don't know, but you know, he was there, he was talking with everyone. I just stood along the side, you know. And then I finally introduced myself and he said, Oh, you know, you do you do nice work. And I'm thinking, that's just what a nice, gracious wow. man says. But then he actually, this is why I knew he was even nicer than I thought. Somehow in his brain, he conjured up something I had written to say, I liked what you did on so Like he was just the nicest man. And, man. and, I, and, and I hear myself saying, can we get a photo? <laughs> so we, I was like a little kid. It was ridiculous. I, was, I cried the day he died, man. That was just a tragedy. Yeah, that was never should have happened. Oh, horrible. Such well, a beautiful writer. Next anyway. time, next time you're on here, we're going to be with the commish. The, I love it. The real commish, Bob Ryan. All right. So, the one and only um, commish. The one and only. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks. All right. Take care. All right. Remember Brown is here. We used to work together at Grantland. We had a, a, a great working relationship and then it was over. <laughs> it was abruptly up. ended. And now he's at Twitter and I'm at the ringer. But, um, We saw each other last week. We power walked around LA for three hours. Things were looking good for the Braves. We're on the walk. We don't know what's going on. And you're just like, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't know what's going to happen. We get, we get back to my house, get a water, turn on the TV. And it's like (laughs) 11, nothing Dodgers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in the first inning. That was probably first, a bad sign. <laughs> uh, the first inning. You know, I spent that morning being like, which Braves thing 
should I wear on my walk to Bill with Bill? Mm. And I was like, you know what? That, that feels thirsty. I don't want to draw this attention to myself <laughs> in Los Angeles that yeah. I'm a brave. Let me just play it cool. Cause like my team, we're mixing it up where our energy is high. We're going to be fine. And then when we turned on the TV in your house, that's when I was reminded that there was a curse and that it might be alive again. Well, we knew this was going to be a baggage series and it turned out it was a baggage series and it ends up Dodgers make this dramatic comeback. We have this incredible game seven. Um, the reason you're on it for the people who don't know, you're uh, grew up in Atlanta. You're a massive Atlanta sports fan and Atlanta has quietly been getting worked like a speed bag here. <laughs> um, <laughs> for a long, long time. And it just, when you think it can't get worse, something else happens. This actually by Atlanta standards was like a six out of 10. It wasn't even, I mean, I don't know what to, I mean, you know, <laughs> 28 to three is such a thing. You don't even have to reference it. You don't even yeah. have to give context to what it is. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think this one hurt in a very different way because I convinced myself that this team, this team of young kids, to be frank, like had not like, like they just like didn't get caught up in all of the Atlanta baggage. It, they, they just felt new. They felt like, you know, this is the Braves team of a new stadium. They don't, they're not even in the city of Atlanta. They're yeah, like, they're in a in bubble. The, they're in the, I was like, there's something about this team that feels like they might be the ones to break us out of like what has been a lifetime of hardship. But these past like five years, especially, you know, have been especially hard. You know, maybe I can just say 10 and blame it all on like ever since I met you. No, I, <laughs> I would say my, when Michael Vick got in the hot water, that's kind of what started it, right? Yeah, I mean. Because from that point on, it just goes south. Yeah, I mean, when, you, when, you, when you're thinking about the actual like titles and stuff, you know, I always felt a little cheated because the 95 world series in itself already kind of had an asterisk because it was like yeah. a shortened series i like how you threw in kind of it has the biggest asterisk <laughs> no, give me that, in the history give me that. of the sport <laughs> but this is how sick i am bill i was like wait the last time we won it was a weird shortened series mm. oh this is we're gonna win the world series like literally sunday morning i get uh, a message from one of my colleagues uh, friends TJ at a show at Twitter and he was like hey great news we're doing this thing where we're like printing tweets on balls for the World Series and I was Ooh. like oh my god it's like for batting practice I was like oh my god this is like this is like my Jesus and marrow rainbow I'm gonna like write the greatest I was like and I was like I want to put like the curse is finally over this is like literally hours before game seven and I was like I feel confident this is going to happen. Like, we're not going to lose three in a row. We're not going to well, lose three in a row. What, every curse has to have a reason for the curse. There has to be a start. Oh, yeah. There has to be an origin. So what is the origin? The origin is, I don't know what we did to get the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, it's, it's the obvious origin story. Like, I love Atlanta more than most people, but... I don't know what justified in like 1990 people being like, you know what? Atlanta needs the Olympics. So I've always been like, we did a deal with the devil to get it. 
And there's a lot of good and a lot of bad that comes from the Olympics coming to your city. Um, but I was just like, you know, I've told you this. I was like, how come Atlanta never got the real world? We're cursed. Not that fake one that happened on Facebook Watch. Like, how come we never got a proper real world? How come <laughs> we never, like, how come we never got the athlete? And then when we got the athlete, it was Mike Vick, who then goes to jail. I'm like, we're cursed. We're cursed. And then you could add Luca, and that didn't happen. The Luca thing, I mean, the, 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 the classic one is Marvin Williams, Chris Paul. Mm. That's another one. So, like, there's, like, little curse nuggets for every team. But it had really been like, well, the Falcons are just absolute, like, like legendary curse. Like, so there's that. And then the Hawks were kind of like, I mean, we haven't been good enough to be cursed yet. Well, when I (laughs) met you, you had the Joe Johnson contract. (laughs) And I remember at one night we were at dinner or something and you were just going into like, we're paying all this money for this guy who is the least fun player to root for in the league. And I just never thought about it that way. I was like, yeah, yeah. man, that's, and, and then and, it, and the contract can't end. It just keeps going and going and going. And then do you remember who our next all-star was, was like Paul Millsap, who I was like, another good player that like brings me zero joy to watch play sports. <laughs> and so I, I've always been on this thing of like, Atlanta needs like charismatic players so like that's why i love trey young like, yeah that was I, the case for the trey young trade yeah like trey young is like a dude that like a city can rally behind in a way that we hadn't seen since vic like this is kind of the issue with like a matt ryan like matt ryan's a hard one to get the city to rally behind and then when you have a moment like the super bowl like it's he's never gonna get he's never gonna have the city you know, so when I looked at the Braves, I was like, whoa, there's like six dudes that I can rally behind. Like Dansby Swanson is like, like the perfect, cool white guy for Atlanta. Like he, <laughs> he's the white guy that like Migos, like Quavo's like, yo, man, Dansby's my boy. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's the white boy I need. Like that's the white boy I need in Atlanta. So I was like, this Braves team, we got a Cooney. Like we got all these people who I'm like, wait. This is young. Everyone's got their chains on. And the, I was like, no, this is, these are my people. So well, I, plus pandemic baseball that with, uh, as CeCe Sabathia said, it was like Dominican winter ball, the way they were <laughs> celebrating every hit, every strikeout. It was great. And the Braves were, the Braves were like the most into that piece of oh, it. Like, I mean, it made for great television. It made for, I mean, it, it gave like a lot of hope and a lot of like, well, if there's going to be one team to get us through this, it's these Braves. But, like, this dude, Mookie Betts, is not a friend of mine and is not a, not a, not a good dude. Not a, not a dude that I like. It's not, he's, he's the most likable person that I've hated in a real long time. He was great. I, I, I want to be his best friend. But it, was, I, it was a classic Mookie series because it's not like he hit unbelievably well, but every game he did at least one huge thing. Yeah, and then like that's just who he is. And then like, but also I feel like he would, you know, he just seems like one of those guys that has like a smile on his face. Yeah, all like throughout all of life. And I'm like, yeah, man, like why can't someone I hate beat us? Um, well, yeah. then on top of that, you had 
every two innings, Toyota's playing the Outcast sellout commercial. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring this up. I knew you were going to bring this up. Yeah, like, yeah, there, there was a lot of things that just I felt like were like more salt. And I was yeah. like, like, you know what I did need to hear once we went down in game seven? Hey, yeah, uh, in a Toyota Corolla. I did need to hear it. I really. It was tough. Really, I really feel like if they're going to, I'm all for like, musicians and bands using songs and ads. I think that's fine. But for that song, I, I need like a, there needs to be a kick-ass car. I need like a BMW or a Porsche <laughs> minimum for Hey Ya. Like, yeah, I, it, it's just not like a cool, the Toyota Camry is on sale or the Toyota Corolla, whatever it was. It's like, this is not the right song for this. Hey, I mean, I mean, it's ambitious for Toyota. Toyota's like, hey, we, yeah. you know, great look on Toyota, bad look for everyone else that, Really loved Hey Ya in 2003, but um, yeah, and that song's hit the nostalgia sweet spot too. Because 03, now we're you know almost two decades away, where it's like now the the Strokes and all the hip hop from that era, like it, it really feels like a nostalgia comeback kind of moment. Yeah. So to see that attached to the Toyota Corolla, I don't know. One thing that I did want to bring up is I, you know, the losing I can handle. I'm yeah, I, I'm I'm a I'm a professional at it. Um, I was actually the spirits you had on Wednesday was exactly what I'm what I'm used to at this point. Like just beaten down, hopeful but not hopeful. I had like I the one of the I mean it's it's funny because it's sad and this is why I love Atlanta sports fans like who you know I think used to get a lot of flack for not having like an identity. Yeah, Atlanta sports fans have an identity now. So yeah. that alone is a positive. I wish it wasn't, didn't come from such hardship, but from pain, from pain. But like I spent that morning, I spent all of Sunday just going through and like stress texting, like my, like the people, like, like had like a long conversation with Lang Whitaker where he's like, yo, it's going to be fine. Like, don't stress out. And then I get a text from him, uh, seventh inning. He's like, this is when you stress out. And I was like, right. this is what it's like. Well, the pickle was when you knew, like, this is not going the right way. Well, when you I, give up two outs on the same base running mistake. Yeah. So that, like, there are moments where, like, you look at it, you're like, okay, like, I don't really believe in curses, but how did that base running happen at this point? Like, in the earlier game where um, Ozuna had that. He, he didn't tag up on third and we were supposed to go up three to zero, but it ended up being two to zero. I think this is game, this was game five. And then they ended up, you know, it was like the classic, we were going to go up by a run and then it's yeah. long and they hit a two, it's a run, two run, run swing. Yeah. The two run swing. And those were the moments where I was like, Oh, like I'm going to shut up now. Like, like all, like there are so many things that I want, I, I want to say, I want to tweet. And I almost did, but those are the moments where I was like, this is, this could definitely do the thing that we're all scared it's going to do. And I, I just wonder how much like this type of superstition makes its way into the minds of players. I wonder if they even know. Well, but you made the case before, because this is how the 04 Red Sox turned it around. They literally called themselves the idiots. Yes. They were a bunch of dudes that none of them were from Massachusetts. Most of them weren't from America or they were from another planet like Manny. 
and that was kind of what you needed. <laughs> they didn't care about the curse. Yeah. I or you had Schilling who won a World Series, so he didn't care. But we had the right kind of team for it. And it seemed like the Braves were just this young, brash kind of bubble baseball team that, you know, every every big play, they're reacting like, you know, it was the, the game winning homer of the game. And it was just be like they'd go up by one run in the second. I, I, I was just that was my whole thing. I was like, maybe they just don't know about all the shit that keeps me up at night. Like maybe this group of, you know, kind of, you know, this ragtag group of really good baseball players, like maybe they're just like, we want to win a world series. Not like we want to break the curse. And I'm like, this is exactly the way we do it. And, you know, so you think like Ozuna in the fourth inning of game seven, he turned to Swanson and he's like, Yo, man, somebody just told me we, we could add Luka Doncic. <laughs> What's going on with the city? Yeah, we, like, we had the Luka Doncic pick and we traded him for Trey Young and Cam Reddish. We did that. Ron's like, that's a real trade. Yeah, Ozuna's like, wait, did you hear about what happened with the Olympics? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, wait, wait, we did what? We, I have one. I have one argument for us losing as, yeah. a, as a good thing. So. Okay, this will be good. A really unfortunate reality of 2020 and COVID has been um, people basically being like, COVID doesn't exist in Atlanta because people are just partying in Atlanta. Oh, like herd immunity in Atlanta. Oh, like it's like a running joke, but it's not a joke because it's very serious. But like, like last week, T.I. had like an album release party like at the club and like there were like hundreds of people there which has me wondering if Atlanta wins the world series, that could be a public health nightmare. Right. Bad example. I just, I don't know if we handle it well, you know? And then on top of that, I, as much as I wanted to win the world series, cause I always want to win things. Um, I wouldn't be able to really party the way I want it to. Like I, the muted celebration, like the Lakers won and it was like a huge deal, but like, I kind of moved on like 48 hours later because yeah, that was a tough one. They didn't even get the parade. First of all, I'd like to congratulate you because as somebody who was a tortured sports fan, who was trapped in curse world, I've never heard two better rationalizations for why it was okay (laughs) to lose the world series. Then it could have started a national pandemic and I had no way to celebrate. So it's fine. That's a great job. Really well done. I give that like a nine out of ten. That was beautiful. The the mental gymnastics that I'm doing right now is great. Even to talk to you is I I have to I have to do it. Well, here's the here here's the good thing. If there is a good thing, talk to me. It's a new generation of tortured sports fans, right? Because Mm -hmm. as we were talking about the power walk, all of these teams that were on that tortured list were knocking out titles. So basically, all we have left are like the Minnesota Vikings, the Buffalo Bills, the entire city of Atlanta. (laughs) Uh, Mets fans, I think, now are like weirdly tortured because it's been 34 years, 35 years since the 86 team. 34 years. Um, The Knicks. I can't count. Yeah, the Knicks. The Knicks are a great one. Classic. Uh, You have the Cleveland Browns fans, but a lot of it is more tied to teams. I think what makes Atlanta really special is it's the whole city. You're basically where Cleveland was before LeBron won the title. Yeah. Because so- it's 25 solid years, but the one title you did win, people like dismiss it like it didn't matter. 
Yeah, the the depending on who you talk to in Atlanta, you know, you do have the contingent that's like, well, Atlanta United won an MLS Cup, so the curse is over. And then you have the other that's people, tough. you know, who are like, sub in, we lost our hockey team, sub in soccer team. Now that's is our big four. It's an argument that I respect because I don't want to throw hierarchy on one sport over the other. With that said, my I still feel like the curse is alive. Well, how many how many years have you had that soccer team? Less than 10, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's can't really count that one. Um, so, you know, we're all doing in Atlanta, we're all doing our own version of rationalization and mental gymnastics to make ourselves feel okay. Uh, the ones I do are mostly, uh, you know, like I just, I just immediately, I'm like, okay, so now I start getting my hopes up about the Hawks. It's just like, it's like a, it's a dark cycle. I'm like, okay, so. <laughs> well, at least the Fa- Falcons relieve the pressure. I there's mean, no hope left. The I, hope mean, is- <laughs> I mean, I guess there's the hope of like Dan Quinn's gone. Raheem Morris, maybe lighten the spark and oh, who knows, seven playoff teams could no. nine and seven get there. Bill, my the spin cycle I have right now of black coach Atlanta, Raheem, <laughs> this is all we needed. Like, come on, like I'm good. <laughs> this is my dream Falcon scenario. Dan Quinn literally yeah. loses all his games. We get a new coach, he's black and he wins. I'm like, I'm like Falcons. Let's make a run. This is how sick it's, I am. This it's a shame sick. that Jameis couldn't be involved because Jameis now is better than 15 guys <laughs> starting in the league, including Andy Dalton, who was just horrific on Monday night. Jameis is like third string in New Orleans, but threw for 5,200 yards last year. I'm just waiting for somebody to get him. It, it I, seems like you're stuck with Ryan though because of the cap stuff. I think Jameis would honestly make me wish we had just gone all the way four years ago and gotten Cam. Mm. Like there's, there is the, like, if you want to talk about someone who, if he came to Atlanta, well, he like, lives there. He's, he's oh, yeah. literally there. No, I mean, he's got a, he's got a street named after him yeah. in Atlanta. Like also, maybe, that might be, by the way, that might be where this goes because the Pats didn't lock him down. And it, it seems like you can get out of Matt Ryan after like, this year. Cam dressing like he is every Sunday with his little feather and his little fedora and all of his stuff, him bringing that energy back to Atlanta. Like I, it would, it, people would be so excited. And I also think it would work. Like, I Mm. just, I like, I just feel bad for Julio. I know we're talking about football now, but like, like one of the great receivers, I just, I just, you know, I, I, I feel bad, you know, I, um, well, last week they looked pretty lively. So yeah. when they win like three in a row, come over, you'll have a devastating loss and you can limp out without saying much. Cause we do that once a year. Yeah. You know how good of a high school basketball player I was once we were down by 30, though. <laughs> like I suddenly <laughs> had like a left hand. I suddenly yeah. was like hitting pull up threes. Like I have very little space for the incredible win at 0-5. But Raheem Morris, black coach, let's turn it around. Just needed a chance. All right, Rem, you're you're in decent spirits, and that was the best <laughs> rationalization for <laughs> losing the World Series I've ever heard. Um, we'll see you. What, what do you have in store for at Twitter for the election? I don't know if you know, but the election's in a couple weeks. Twitter, <laughs> might, Twitter might be involved. <laughs> Jesus. Can I say one thing, though, that I did? Yeah. 
the game seven was the most tweeted about baseball game of of the whole playoffs, which that's good. You know, it's just another stat that makes me feel like people care. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a great stat, but also I'm like, oh, people got to see my little team. Mm. We lost, but at least people know who we are. You know, Ram, good to see you. Good to see you, man. Before we get to Jacko, I, I mean, the timing of this is perfect. Not that long ago, going out with friends could get a little too complicated. You used to worry about where you'd go, what you'd look like, who you'd invite. Now, getting together for a beer with your closest friends is not that complicated. These days, it actually feels more like it should. It's funny. We're about to have my buddy Jacko on. Man, did we drink Miller Lite uh, a lot over the years. I, mean, I, I don't want to say how much, but it was one of our favorite beers. Always went for it. And look, you could have Miller Lite now by yourself. You can you can be with your friends. Maybe that's the way it should always be. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always believed that Miller time is all about whether you're toasting in person or you're cheersing from afar, or you're doing a Zoom on a podcast with uh, a buddy you've had for 32 years. Miller Lite always about bringing you and your friends together for Miller time. Jack and I are about to have a little Miller time in a second. Miller Lite, great taste. Only 96 calories, 3.2 carbs. However you and your friends are enjoying Miller Time, you can have the original light beer delivered by going to MillerLite.com forward slash BS. Find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. All right, my buddy Jacko is here. This should have happened sooner. I always like to have him on right after the Yankees disgracefully get bounced from the playoffs. But honestly... The podcast was just, there's so much going on. Jesus, basketball, football. I, I couldn't even squeeze you in, but I had to have you on to talk about uh, that in the election. Did you quit baseball after the Yankees got knocked out? What happened? Well, you can only have your heart broken so many times. you know. Now, of course, being a lifelong Yankees fan and a sucker, uh, I'm sure once the spring rolls around and, and my heart will be ready to be broken again, and I'm sure I'll get back into it. Unless... Unless they lowball DJ LeMahieu and don't sign DJ LeMahieu, that really oh. is going to be a deal breaker for me. I, I love DJ LeMahieu. He's the best player they've had in years. He's everything you want. A guy that gets clutch hits, that just gets on base. He doesn't swing for the fences. He doesn't strike out. He's phenomenal. So of course, the offseason chatter now is they're not going to have the money and they're going to let him walk. And if they bring back Brett Gardner and Tanaka one more for one more go around and let LeMahieu walk, I literally am not going to be responsible for my actions. Like I, I don't know what I'm capable of. I'm just that may be the straw that breaks the camel's back for me. It's just that will be a bridge too far. Any other metaphor you can think of, that will be that'll be the one. What about losing to Tampa Bay, the team that the Yankees have been cleaning up like yesterday's riffraff, uh, really for the last two plus decades? I know, and and Tampa Bay, scrappy, scrappy young Tampa Bay, and their seventy three million dollar payroll. I mean, they're, you know, in the words of Pedro Martinez, they're the Yankees' daddies this year, certainly. And they they talked all kinds of shit. You know, they had this thing when there was sort of a bean brawl war going on, and they said, you know, Kevin Cash came out and said, "Well, I've got a stable of guys that throw ninety eight. And mm. the last game, last series at Yankee Stadium, they're wearing hats that say, you know, has a horse on it and it says ninety eight, like they're stable. And they 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 had a lot of swagger and they backed it up. So you were like, you know, there was some bulletin board material when they played there, and Giancarlo Stanton was like, well, well we're not going to talk about that. We're going to settle it on the field and. 
They did settle it on the field at Tampa Bay won. <laughs> <laughs> it was settled. It was settled. So, like, literally, like, they they came in as the big boys on the block, the bullies, and they they bullied the Yankees, and the Yankees, you know, got bullied. And that, that was all she wrote. I kept hoping a switch would get flipped, but they were just better in every every facet of the game. It was just, it, you know, and you win game one. There Apparently, there's a stat I saw when you win game one in a five-game series in baseball, 72% of the time you win the series, but... Sadly, this is one of the 28% where that did not occur. <laughs> CC Sabathia before the playoffs, Tampa was his team. He was like, watch out for that team. They they fit the recipe, but they had so many young dudes. You just never know. They've been really right. impressive. And we're taping this before game one of the World Series. They're basically two to one underdogs against the Dodgers. And after watching them, I've watched a little more baseball than I want to admit. Um after watching them, I was just really impressed. It's like, oh, let's bring out another guy who throws 99. Oh, now this guy. Right, they're bu- and it's just tough. Their their bullpen is unbelievable. And the other thing they do is they play fantastic defense. Yeah. So, you know, unlike the Yankees who booted all over the earth, uh, it, that was one of the big differences in the series was that Tampa just plays this lockdown defense and they don't give any extra outs. You know, they're pitchers, they're bullpen guys. They can just run out a different bullpen guy. They don't get worn out because they're not pitching to extra outs. There's not a lot of guys on base. They got guys that throw gas. I mean, why why would you count them out? I mean, I know the Dodgers have a better lineup. They got Mookie. They got a Seager, Turner. They have all those guys in a, in a you know, better lineup. But, you know, two to one seems a little strong to me because Tampa Bay has shown it all year. They, they belong there. They're the best team in the American League. It's It's no question. It pains me to say, but it's true. Well, I know how you operate after the Yankees get knocked out. You you become inc- incredibly spiteful. You spite <laughs> you spite root for different things. So you have the Astros there, and you're spite rooting against them because they're cheaters, and they're down three nothing. And then they almost pull off the O four Red Sox scenario, where for the rest of eternity, people would then say only the O four Red Sox and the 2020 Astros have ever right. pulled this off, which is weirdly a good thing for you because then that that big spotlight isn't just on the 04 Red Sox and yet you hate the Astros because they're cheaters. So who did you root for? I don't, I, out of those two scenarios, what ended up winning? Well, I rooted for, I mean, to the extent I rooted, I rooted for the eight, I rooted for the Rays. Uh, there's no way, there's no way on God's green earth I would root for the Astros. Mm. They could play a team from North Korea and I would root for North Korea. <laughs> I'd be, I'd probably buy a North Korea jersey, like if that was the Olympics. Like if it was the Astros as representing America against North Korea, I would root for North Korea. But really, like the you know, I've I've developed this sort of hate is strong, but dislike of the of the Rays because of the shit you know their their swagger against the Yankees. So really, it was like the baseball gods were just like, we hate you. You, it's either going to be the Rays who you dislike, the Astros who you hate, and then yeah. there's going to be all these you know 2004 Red Sox Yankee comparisons. So really. There was like the election, there was no good outcome for me. So it's just like <laughs> this year is just like this year I have a lot of poor choices and no good outcomes. So well then you so. have you have this World Series now where if the Dodgers win, it's painful for Red Sox fans like myself because of the Mookie thing. Cause you know, right. I some people are discovering that he's an unbelievable baseball player, but we knew the whole time. And uh and every win that they come closer to winning the World Series is really bittersweet in like a really crazy, strange way. I know you enjoy that. But then Absolutely, the flip side yeah. would be the Rays winning the World Series, who is like that our like ALE stepbrother that we just kind of 
kicked around right. and were mean to for 30 years? I mean, I guess I guess I would console my I'm rooting for the Dodgers because I, I have no dislike of, of the Dodgers and I dislike the Rays. So that that's a layup for me. Um, but I guess I would console if the Rays were to win, I would console myself with the fact that, well, the Yankees lost once again to the eventual World Series champ. You know, they yeah. got eliminated in 2017 by the cheating Astros who won the World Series. They got eliminated in 2018 by the semi-cheating Don't say Red Sox, it. No, don't, who then, no, who then, no. Who then won the World Series. <laughs> Last year, they lost to the Astros who at least went to the World Series. And this year, you know, if they lose to the Rays, they will have lost to yet another World Series champion. So, hey, if you can't be the bride, you might as well be the bridesmaid, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do uh, old old guys complaining about uh, what's happened to baseball just quickly. And I've really enjoyed it. I, I actually watched a ton of baseball this weekend and really enjoyed the game sixes and the game sevens, all that stuff. The, the way they manage now makes me feel like my mom trying to figure out how to find, you know, the peacock on her Samsung apps. <laughs> and just like, hey, so what do I do? Do I download it? How do I sign up? When, you know, Charlie Morton is is dealing and the announcer's like, well, the first sign of trouble, they'll pull him out. And I'm thinking like, wow, in the old days, he just would have gone nine innings. They would have had to like carry him out. Same thing in the in the game seven Dodgers Astros. Like the any moment of whatever, they're just, they freak out. They take the guy. There's eight pitchers play, pitching in on each side and, and, like, what is your brain process as you're watching this? Because I am just morbidly confused the entire time. Well, you and I are 50 years old. Well, I guess you're 51. I'm 50 or 51. So we're, we're officially old guys. But I have never felt that way more so than now, like watching modern baseball where everything is a home run or a strikeout. And there's like yeah. you know, the Yankees strike out 18 times in a game. And they're like, eh, oh, well. Like in the old days, that they would have like the guy manager would have ripped his hair out of his head if you you had a team strike out eighteen times in a game, but that's not a big deal now. The the you know the using a bullpen guy to start a game, and not trusting your starting pitcher, not letting your starting pitcher work deep into the game, you know the the Yankees thing, which I still I'm not sure I can rationally talk about in game two, where the computer spit out that the answer was to pitch Davy Garcia for one inning. And then bring in Jay Happ, and the Rays wouldn't know what to do. Oh my God, he's left-handed! Ah, what are we gonna do? Like Kevin Cash was gonna wet himself. The dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Mer mercifully, I had a meeting that night, and so I was kind of like following it on my phone. And I saw that Garcia started, and then it said Happ was in, and it it was four to one. And I'm like, oh, the kid must have blown up. You know, he he shit the bed. That happens. When I learned after the fact what happened, I, I was almost like catatonic. I don't even know how to respond to that. If there's a computer program that says that's what you should do, you should smash the fucking computer with a fucking sledgehammer. That's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. And, and this new baseball of these computer guys running the team and the Yankees and, you know, uh, Steinbrenner and Cashman come out with a straight face afterwards and say, oh, it was Aaron Boone's decision. Get the fuck out of here. That was Aaron Boone's decision. Right. That was totally from the front office and the computers. I'm not old and crazy enough to say we should throw analytics completely out, but the but the over-reliance on that and like whatever the computer prints out is what we're going to do with no like feel for the game, 
you know, no gut sense of what's going to happen. And I know all the nerds are going to be like, well, there's no such thing as all that. No bullshit. There's not. Of course there is. You know, when the Yankees <laughs> were successful in the nineties, they had Joe Torrey who had been in baseball for 50 years and Don Zimmer who had been in baseball for a hundred years and yeah. had seen everything and had a feel for the game, you know, tobacco juice on Don Zimmer's gut or whatever. And he, that's what he, you know, that's how he went for something or like, you know, the way the sunflower seeds landed on the floor, but you know what? It worked and they won four fucking world series. And these computer guys have been running the team now for the better part of, of the last seven years, and they haven't won a goddamn thing, not even a pennant. I, I don't know. It drives me, obviously, crazy, as you can tell. Well, the counter would be Tampa is big on this stuff, and it's worked for them. It has, but the difference is Tampa has a payroll of like $14. So they have to be, they have to use analytics. They have to use computers because right, they, they have no the other, edge. they have no other advantage. And you know what else helped, helped the Hibba Bay? They got a stable full of guys that throw 98 that they could bring into the game. Now, if the computer got them, those guys, well, kudos to the computer, more power to you. But right. I don't think it takes a genius to be like, let's bring in another guy with a fresh arm that throws 98 that's unhittable or go get Azarena who is hitting 850 in this series. I mean, that, you know. If the computer did that, then I bow down to the computer. But I think like, you know, those guys were good players and any manager analytics or not would have figured that out. And while the Rays have to be relying on that, if you're the New York Yankees with a 200 plus million dollar budget and you have allegedly this dominant post, you know, this dominant lineup and you have this kid Garcia who you're high on, let him pitch. Like, yeah. you know, let him pitch. If the kid shits the bed, he shits the bed. You took a shot. But to try this, like to try to be too smart and way too clever, you know, somebody, some kid in, you know, 30 year old in a Princeton t-shirt back in the Yankees front office, like, you know, on a computer, like prints it out that this is what we should do. Bring in Jay Happ in the second inning and it's going to revolutionize things. Get the hell out of here. That's nonsense. Just well, ridiculous. we've seen it. We've seen it in football where two point conversions, there's, there's all this data that you should go for at certain situations, things like that. And I got burned Two Sundays ago, the Vikings had a chance to just go up <laughs> and kick it, kick the 27 year old field goal. And then Russell Wilson has to come down and get touchdown two point just to send it to OT. And I had the Vikings money line out and I'm watching, <laughs> I'm going, boy, it'd be cool to be up eight. You know, it'd be fun to be up eight points. <laughs> That'd be great. Just need My goal w. is not to lose. And, right. and the Vikings are like, we own it. We can end it now. And they just run it right in the line. They get tackled. Then you know what happens next? Russell Wilson goes down sure. and they win the game. Then this right. week, Romeo Cornell in Houston, which I did not have money on, thanks God, thank God, because I, you know, um, they go up seven. <laughs> Extra point puts them up eight with like, you know, less than two minutes left. Not and much he's time like, We're left, gonna right. we're gonna end it now. And goes for the two point. They just had this long drive where they had had like two third and ones, two fourth and ones. They'd kind of seen a lot of the short yardage offense. It was like, I don't really know how many tricks you have left here. So they didn't get it. Tennessee goes down. You saw the rest. They score a touchdown. Yep. They win the coin toss. They win. And it's just like, if the mass removing feel for the game, then that's not good either. That's not a good outcome. We're not playing this on, on some fucking simulation on an alternate exactly. planet. This is right exactly. now. Like, watch the game. Have a feel for it. And that's what bothers me about this stuff. I love I love analytics. And I use a lot of them. They've really helped me understand basketball. But if you're not applying them to kind of situational feel, if you're not combining that at all, it doesn't make sense. And in baseball, it doesn't seem like they care about situational feel at all. None, now, none the flip whatsoever. side would be situational feel led to 
Grady Little leaving Pedro in, you know, for three right. too many batters and some of the mistakes we've had over the course of our life. But of I don't course, know, there's some balance. About, people screamed about that at the time, though, without having the benefit of a computer program telling them, like, this is, don't do this, Grady, for the love of God. Right. You know, so, but, and, and you know, the Red Sox, with their success, they, they've used analytics and, and, you know, the Yankees have been successful in the sense of winning an AL East or getting to the playoffs and, and they're, they, they dip their toe in analytics and now they're like knee deep, you know, they're neck deep in it. it it's, it's gotta be a balance and there's way too much of an over-reliance and, and, you know, the, and it's just, it's, that's the modern baseball thing. And, you know, I can scream until I'm blue in the face about that. I, I know that's, that's the wave of the future. And especially if the Rays win the world series, you know, everybody's going to be even more into that. And I just think Great. like, it's so, it's so much fun to argue about baseball when everything is just decided by a computer. Like, honestly, right. how many baseball arguments have you had in the last month? This is what's going to kill baseball. We don't argue just, about it. We don't have arguments with, with myself or the TV many, but uh, with other, <laughs> with the voices in my like, head a lot, he, but <laughs> like we text every day and we're on multiple right. text threads. None of us were ever like, who would you rather have, Joey Wendell or Kyle Seeger? Like, because <laughs> there's an answer. You just look it up. And you're like, oh, the, you know, oh, his war's higher, so Kyle Seeger's the answer. It's like, what's fun right. about that? No, nothing. Right? It's 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 not fun when it just becomes a math problem or whatever. You know, it is. It's algebra. It's algebra right. uniforms. Now that said, it's... I loved watching the playoff games, but I do think that's one of the reasons, like playoff baseball, feels so much fun because it's the one time. You're just watching the games and enjoying the drama of it. But over the course of a season, I, I don't know. It just worries me. I don't like that Roberts can't be like what Roberts did with Urias in the in the last yeah. three innings. I kind of like yeah. that because the math was probably like, get him out. Right. Bring in your guy in the ninth. And he was like, you know what? That guy's dealing. I'm not taking him out. Exactly. That's the thing. You have some sense of like, if the guy's going along, I don't care if like, the, you know, the book or the computer say now is the time we go to a reliever. Like, like whatever computer it was that said Araldis Chapman should pitch for in the seventh inning and try to get the last nine outs of a game. He's yeah. Never what been computer good at was that. that? Break that computer. He's, Sell that back to the to the back store. Like shit. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. Like you know, I I don't know. I forget. It's all a blur. Who was in there before him? But he was doing fine. L leave the guy in, Chad Green or whoever it was, or, or yeah. you know. And and I you know the Yankees not to make excuses but you know they they lost Conley that screwed up their bullpen early on when he had to have Tommy John, you know if they had Severino they don't have to screw around with that thing in, in game two but even even with that like they had a good enough lineup and and you know Garrett Cole and and pieced together the rest of the pitching to make it work and it's just frustrating beyond all belief it's it's just. You know, I've seen, I've heard this song too many times. I've seen this show. It's like 2016, you know, the Yankees, the Yankees did not make the playoffs. They traded Chapman for Glaber Torres. They traded Andrew Miller for Clint Frazier. And they had all these pieces and it was going to be like, the Yankees are going to be the team for the next five years. You know, they're going to be the team on the come. In 2017, Girardi took them a year early. Everybody predicted that they were a year early to the seventh game of the ALCS. Against, against the, the cheating Astros. We, against the team that was fucking cheating, right? And they were like, oh, here come the Yanks. 2018, they get bulldozed by a juggernaut Red Sox team. 2019, they lose to the Astros, who probably were cheating again. This year is a screwy year with a crazy season, and they lose again in the playoffs and still don't get a pennant. You know, this window that was opened in 2016 is and now it's 2020. That window's closing, you know? 
So that's what's extra frustrating. And their answer seems to be like, well, we're going to bring the whole gang back and, except for LeMayhew because he's too expensive potentially. And we're going to just try to do the same thing next year. Eh, see what the computer says. I'm really I, having I a good time it. right now. I'm really oh, enjoying God. this. And you got Aaron Boone, uh, Aaron Boone, who I'm sure is a lovely guy, a nice guy. But I mean, he's not a leader of men. He doesn't inspire any confidence in that as a, as a manager. And they all love him. He's like your big brother. You know, and I don't think he does enough to like light a fire under their ass. That's the old school me too. The old guys screaming at a cloud me. Uh, but I just don't, he, he's not a guy that's going to take him to the next level, but he's, he's a puppet. And then Cashman has to come out and say, he's not a puppet. Well, of course he is. Everybody knows that. Oh God. Well, we're one fifth of the way through the 21st century. The Red Sox have won four times as many world series and Tampa's won twice as many pennants. Right. As the, as the New York Yankees. It's true. It's yeah. Your record is what it is. You know that it's true. That's the record. There's no question. It's not. It's dispiriting. Plain old dispiriting. Not good. I'm really. This is great. I'm really having a good time. <clears throat> Let's talk about the election. Let's cheer things up even more. Fantastic. So, Biden is like minus one seventy five as a favorite right now. Yeah. Over Donald J. Trump. Yes, and sir. We have a big debate coming. God only knows Thursday. what they're going to do with the Mike stuff. Do you, my first question is, do you think Trump moves in for like some sort of handshake, some sort of inappropriate gets into Biden's personal space? So there's like a COVID threat to kind of rattle him early. <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> and if I, he know, gets there, talk- would a Biden handler come in with like a taser and tase Trump Maybe. to keep him away? Biden might be confused. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, with the mic thing, I, I'm not sure that muting the mic is really going to stop Trump. Like he may just knock the podium over and just start screaming and like flailing his <laughs> arms around. I mean, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of he's, you know, conventional wisdom says he's got to sort of take a Hail Mary. You know, I'm not sure. Frankly, I don't think anybody's mind could be changed at this point. Like, I'm not sure what anyone could do to, cha- you know, Trump could do to change anybody's mind. But if in his if in his feeble mind, he thinks I've got to throw a Hail Mary here. God only knows what he could be capable of, you know. Well, he's hit a point where he's just throwing stuff out and people are pretty certain their lies, but maybe not. And it'll at least get people to Google and he could just kind of keep going with that, right? Like he, like as he's finishing his point and he's like, and that's why you killed that astronaut. And, and then people are like, what? And then they start Googling Biden killed an astronaut. And he could just do that like 10 times. Like it's in a weird way. It's like fake punting and running double reverses. You're just taking misinformation. Throwing to the everything next at level. the wall. It's like, why did he say right. he killed an astronaut? Did he kill an astronaut? He comes out, pulls out a bag of cocaine out of his pocket and says, throws it at Biden and says, give that to your son. <laughs> Honestly, that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Just to get a rise out of Biden and see if it like throws him off his game. Well, Biden had clear, I've never seen anybody work harder at what their reaction faces would be. Yeah. You know, like you could see he was in the bathroom doing the that one face where it's like, this guy. Right, right. You know, like you kind of do that. And then the other ones are you just kind of like you roll your eyes and then just look at the camera and smile because what else are you going to do? But he I don't know if done, he's going to have another face for Thursday. Maybe he'll have a third one. He should have done like the Martin Short from Saturday Night Live. Nathan Thurm made other guy in 60 Minutes. Is it me? Tim, right? It's not me. It's him. Tim. Tim, right? You know, all those are on Peacock now. We You could go watch those. 
Watch the old SNLs. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I don't know. The debate, you know, the, the debate is it'll be interesting, I guess. You know, I mean, they've all said that they've all said everything that can be said. Trump's act really doesn't get any any newer. You just watch it like a car crash to see, like, what could possibly happen. But everybody's mind is made up and it's, you know, it's time to vote at this point. I have an important question for you because I, I think mm-hmm. it's a fair time to ask it now that we're almost four years in. I think both of us were really appalled at the thought of a Trump presidency, removing all politics aside mm. that just like, wow, this could be a train wreck. I got to say, it's really exceeded my expectations on that front. It's <laughs> it's if it was between on a scale of one to 10 on how bad I thought this was going to go. It's like a 17. Well, I mean, it's, the thing it's is completely he, he... bonkers. I, I almost can't believe it. And I can't believe like, like the, the scenario now where if he loses the election, he just won't leave, you know, contest it. Like that's definitely going to happen. There's no way that's not going to happen. Well, I mean, I think that's a little overblown. I know he has never given really a straight answer on that. I mean, I don't think they're going to have to have like tanks come in and like remove him from the White House. But I think he will. Uh, not, are you I sure? Think he will not, well, I think he'll would you leave. Bet, but would I you think... bet your life on that, that that's not going to happen? You would not. <laughs> well, no. Well, I think he'll I think he wants to go back to Trump Tower, but he will bitch about it. He will never shut up and always claim that it's stolen regardless. I mean, he could lose by 15 points and he's going to claim it was stolen and it was rigged and it was this and it was that. I mean, he's never going to say he's never going to concede. He's never going to call and say congratulations. He's not going to have any kind of a normal transition. But I, I don't think that he physically is going to be like bearing in the White House, like, you know, that we have to get him out of there. Like, uh, you know, like, like, um, who was in the, oh, uh, like, um, Noriega in Panama when he was like holed up in the Vatican embassy and we had to play music to, you know, blare heavy metal to get him out. I don't think that's going to be the case. Well, remember when they made like maybe six years ago, they made two White House movies. <laughs> yeah. The White House has fallen. It was or like whatever. White House down and the yeah. Eagle has fallen or whatever. And it's like, why are <laughs> yeah. there two of these? But one of them should have audible to like the president has been voted out of office, but he won't leave. And now he's barricaded himself in the White House with hostages. That actually would have been a good <laughs> plot for a movie or a good 24 season. See, right? here's Jack the, Bauer. Here's the thing, though, like under the Constitution, the, the new president is inaugurated at noon on January the 20th, 2021. Yeah. And the military, you know, the Joint Chiefs of Staff obey the commands of the commander in chief. Uh, Now, if the military was to say, we don't recognize Joe Biden and we have sworn allegiance to Donald Trump, then then we've got bigger problems and bigger issues. I don't think that's going to happen. Whatever, you know, whatever Trump did, if he barricaded himself in the White House and declared himself the president, none of the levers of government, Congress, by and large included would not recognize him as the president and he could sit there and be petulant in the White House until his food ran out, I guess, <laughs> or they, you know, unless his, his supporters threw, you know, threw Uber Eats into him or something. But it wouldn't matter. Biden would be the president and he would be treated as the president regardless of where he was physically located, I think. The other piece we have, which hasn't really come into play that often in the past, but you you know, you remember history better than me. The guy who only was the president for four years, but still has four years of eligibility left. Yeah, Grover Cleveland. Come back in four years, run it back. I, I would. Uh, that's that's my greatest fear, actually, that Trump loses, but he cl- claims it was stolen, it was rigged. In four years, he he does the replay. Absolutely, only one person, Grover Cleveland, was president, and then he lost, and then he ran again and won. 
He's the only one to do not two non-consecutive terms. So yeah, Trump could, and and Trump I think is 74, four years from now, he'd be 78. He's the same age as Biden is now. So unfortunately it's not beyond the realm of possibility. I mean, that's gonna be the interesting thing if, as I suspect, he loses, what happens to the Republican Party? Do they pretend like it's like a Bobby Ewing thing from Dallas, that that was all a dream, it never happened, like it was just a nightmare? <laughs> we just pretend that never happened? Or is it like Trump's party now and it's a battle between like Don Jr. and Ivanka for the nomination in 2024? Oh I, I don't God. know. I don't know. Like, does it just rebuild around people like, you know, Tim Scott from South Carolina or Nikki Haley or you know, sass or some somebody who's not a total Trumpian uh, and maybe presents a different face of the party? Or is it just Trump's party now and you get, you know, Trump Jr.? I don't know. I don't know. Tubin. Maybe he's in there. <laughs> Tubin. <laughs> Trump, Trump Tubin, 28. Yeah, I don't think Tim is a big Trump guy. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's he's got a lot to worry about elsewhere. So he uh, may, may sure. turn into one now. He may and, be. And you didn't talk about uh, the dynamic Mike Pence. That's true. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You know, normally the vice president, like, you know, with Bush and Reagan, Mondale and Carter, like the guy who was the vice president, he becomes the standard bearer the next time. But I'm not sure Mike Pence really lights anybody on fire. You know, I mean, he could he could present himself as the biggest <laughs> Trump loyalist that I was there by his side. But I'm not sure even like the deepest MAGAite is like big on tr big on Pence, you know? So I'm, I'm not sure if he lights anybody's fire, really. He would be a fun including, guy to have. Including Mrs. Pence. <laughs> 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 he would be a fun guy to have on a podcast because you could be <clears> like, <throat> so Mike, who do you think is going to win the World Series? And he'd be like, here's what I say about COVID. Like just right. not even try and answer the questions. Just he's got 10 answers. You could ask whatever 10 questions you want. He's going to give his 10 answers. He's got a funny thing, too, because he, he always he speaks like he's like a movie actor pretending to be the president where he speaks these things dramatically. Like, yeah, he's like, George, I want to thank you for having me tonight. And I bring greetings from President Donald Trump. And everything's supposed to be. He thinks everything's going to be like an applause line. And most of the time it's like crickets, but it doesn't he's, stop. He, him. He was like that in the debate, too. He's like Michael Buffer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. he thinks he's getting the crowd ready in this corner. Yeah, without Mister Excitement, without a lot of excitement. Yeah, so I don't know. You know, you know, I, I want to. I, I read something on the internet which is interesting, and and uh, there's one pollster who's an outlier, and, and he claims that he is convinced that Trump is going to win because pollsters are grossly underestimating the secret Trump vote that will not talk to pollsters. That, you know, Trump's conspiracy, like the deepest Trumpians are very conspiracy minded and obviously they hate the media. So if a pollster calls, they like hang up or they look on the caller ID, they won't pick up and they won't answer. So he, he claims that he has some algorithm, I'm using that word a lot in this podcast, that has gleaned that these people are there's a massive hidden Trump vote. Now, he's the only guy saying that. So he's either going to be like the most famous well-renowned pollster if Trump somehow pulls this off or people will just forget about it and be like, that guy was a clown. But that that's that's a contrarian take on there. Just just putting that out there. So he's going like he's trying to be the Nate Silver of 2020, basically. I listen, we we talked about this on this podcast in 2016 about we felt like whatever the polls were, that there were some people 
who might not want to admit to somebody that they're voting for Trump. But then when you get in that little booth, you're like looking around and you just kind of do it. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I mean, you know, I kind of I have a strong tendency to doubt that because there's all these reports about early voting and how astronomically high it is. I presume those people are walking over like broken glass and coals, if necessary, to vote against Trump. Like you wouldn't normally be like, I'm going to I'm so ginned up to vote early for Trump. He's got to get my vote in there quick. You know, like, yeah, based on just like the numbers you see, you figure that's sort of like usually people are outraged and they get out and and vote more more early uh, earlier. But um, just just putting that out there as a possibility, uh, something I read. And it's just it's an interesting take. I don't know that I agree with it, but. It's interesting. Plus, in 2016, we had <laughs> Hillary Clinton. That's right. And she I mean, was talking in public like this. That's right. That's right. And Biden Biden is you know, more popular than her. You know, Trump was an unknown quantity to some degree in 2016. And there was probably some people that were like, well, let's take a flyer on a non-politician. And here we are. So people have sort of like learned their lesson from that. So I have a tendency to doubt this guy's uh, esoteric there, mm. esoteric theory. But um, stranger things have happened. He got elected. I, I thought he was going to lose 40 states in 2016. So stranger things have happened. I mean, that would really like if he won after everybody thinks like, they're already like having, you know, Biden's basically measuring the curtains and everything. And they're already planning on what they're going to do. If Trump was somehow to pull it out. I mean, I, I don't know what would happen. Biden's measuring the curtains, but not for that reason. He just doesn't know what <laughs> room he's in right do. now. <laughs> he's like, right. What are these curtains? <laughs> right. Did these right. open? I mean, one of the exactly. best things that happened to Biden was SNL completely botched the whole Biden thing with Jim Carrey, who's doing this impression of somebody that's not Joe Biden. I don't somebody really know else. what's going on. It's like he's. I guess doing Ace Ventura. That's what people say, I guess. Yeah. Or the, somebody said like the mask, he's like the mask without the, ma you know, without the green mask or whatever. It, it's but, just bizarre. Yeah. It's like, you're not Joe Biden. Why didn't they just bring Jason Sudeikis back? He was good before. How about just use somebody in the cast? You have 15 right. cast members. You can't find anybody to be Joe Biden. Why do you have a 15 person cast? I know it's, it's, it's dumb. I don't know. It's stupid. All right. Well, Jacko, we'll talk to you after the election. Excellent. Excellent. Assuming then, <laughs> assuming the world hasn't burned down. <laughs> we'll we'll have a podcast and in the corner it's gonna say Trump barricaded in the White House, day forty-three, <laughs> like the Iran hostage crisis. <laughs> I'll be like, well shit, I didn't know what I was talking about. Oh. Uh, uh, dead wrong. <laughs> Sorry about he's, that. He's in a panic room and they don't know the code. <laughs> <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> All right, Jack, I'll talk to you All soon. Right, I'll talk to you. Bye. All right, that's it for the pod. Thanks to Rembert and Jacko and Jackie McMullen. Another pod coming Thursday. I have at least one fun celebrity guest that I haven't had on this podcast before I'm excited about. Uh, don't forget about the rewatchables too. Did Spotlight this week. Two big rewatchables coming next week. And remember, if you want to hear the entire archive for the rewatchables, it's all on Spotify. The last 60 days or so will always be available on all platforms of new podcasts. But if you want to hear the entire library dating back to 2017, it is all available on Spotify. See you on Thursday.